Check this out. On the weekend. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. could be the statement of any owner of a mom-and-pop shop, a brick-and-mortar store, a retail outlet, or how many times with a Louisville baseball bat I ended up telling somebody at that Mickey D's up in the Bronx where I started the Guardian Angels back in February of 1979 after I tossed their ass right out into the street. Don't come around here anymore or I'm going to tattoo up your head and you're going to end up with the Louisville slugger mark right on your forehead with the uh, Joe DiMaggio signature right on the back. That was old school, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you remember it? You ran into a retail establishment. You went into that grocery store. You try to take any items, and that store owner or the staff saw you. You pretty much uh, were going to face a beatdown. By the time you got out of that store all bloodied and bruised up, you knew damn well you weren't going to go back to that store. And trust me, even though we didn't have as many junkies as we have now, dope fiends, we had them in the 60s, man, strung out on heroin. They try to go into that store. They try to lift things that maybe they could sell out in the street or they could just pawn off on others. 
Man, they'd whip you up big time. I can't tell you uh, how many weapons I had behind the counter at Mickey D's on East Fordham Road in Webster. You looked up on the um, those uh, lights, those heating lights that were above the counter areas to keep the food warm before we get wrapped and put into the bin. And you saw an armada of weapons that I and the crew that I hired, the closing crew, specifically to cover my back when I went over the counter. Because if you didn't establish that you controlled what was going on inside of your store, inside of your restaurant, you lost complete control. Anybody could walk in at any point of the day or night and basically hold you up, shake you down, extort you, bother your customers, just become a menace to society. And I sure as hell wasn't just going to watch them do the chicken dance as I was telling them to get the hell out of here now or you may forever regret the moment you didn't listen to me. See, I used to like to pick them up uh, Broadway Bill Lee as they were doing the chicken dance. You know, yo, 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 man, yo, yo, yo. Yeah, I know it's yo, yo, yo. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, okay, I know what you mean. Pick them up, slam them down, make their bones rattle. And then as they would hobble outside, everybody in the neighborhood would say, yo, that crazy white boy is at it again. Nope, you were going to come into my Mickey D's and you were going to create problems like street gangs would back in the late 70s, Black Spades, Savage Skulls, Savage Nomads, any of these wannabe crews. You'd have to deal with me and you'd have to deal with my closing crew. It was all for one, one for all. I know that's what exists in bodegas. I know that what exists in supermarkets. Uh, it's it's the code of survival. And as we see from headline after headline, that just almost doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't exist. You might as well have a business and put a for sale sign out in the window because you're going to allow a series of uh, enemies of society, mutants, cretins with chromosome damage, to come in and loot and steal from your business. I got to tell you, what really put me over the top, and I've seen everything. I mean, I remember with the Guardian Angels in southwest Detroit patrolling a high-crime area. And a group of people who ran the party stores and the supermarkets back then and still now are Chaldeans, Christian Iraqis. Now, you may ask yourself, Avery, who has prepared the funniest hour in all of radio that you're going to listen to from 4 to 5 as he dissects and bisects Frank Morano, the Mameluke. Oh, my God. A guy, oh, uh, make sure you let everybody know that on Monday morning I got RFK Jr. on. Like, who cares, right? Who cares? RFK Jr., is he going to tell us that his uh, uncle Ted was guilty in Chappaquiddick? Of course not. But Frank, boy, what a nudge. What a pain in my tuchus. You got to tell everybody, I got RFK Jr., I got RFK Jr., Hey, when you get Tulsi Gabbard on finally after stalking her, then I'll announce that. Manaja. But anyway, this should be the music that is played 
outside of every retail establishment, every store, every wholesaler, retailer, every bodega, every mom and pop, brick and mortar shop, don't come around here anymore. And there should be a series of videos flashing right in the front window. You enter here at your own risk. That's the way I would handle things as mayor. You enter here at your own risk. The way you come in is not necessarily the way you're going to go out. In fact, if you come in here to mess up and you don't fess up, you may be coming out in a body bag or a gurney. And guess what? I'll give you a nice eulogy. I'll give you a dirt bath. And then I'll show your body bag to everybody else and say, cross over that Maginot line and come into my business. And you remember that scene. Do the right thing. Remember Danny Aiello? When Radio Raheem came in and put his boom box right on the counter. And he just took that Louisville slugger and he smashed it to smithereens. Now, it set off a race riot. And uh, Danny Aiello's pizzeria was burnt to the ground. What the hell? He wasn't going to take that crap, right? I remember the time in Mickey D's. Guy came in with a Doberman Pinscher. Remember back then in the 60s, the Doberman Pinscher was the fiercest dog alive. And he did not have a muzzle on this Doberman Pinscher. So he comes in. He wants his Mac, his strawberry shake, and his supersized fries, right? Or whatever we called it at the time. And I told him, man, you got to get the hell out of here. You can't be keeping that Dobie right there in the lobby of the restaurant. He said, mind your own business. Wherever I go, the Dobie goes. So I had to pull out like a 20-foot machete, you know, that they must have been using to cut sugar cane in Cuba or the Dominican Republic. And I had to say, hey, if you come any further into the lobby, I'm going to have to slice you and dice you and your Doberman. It was high noon. It was a standoff. And do you know... They're passing by at that time, leaving Fordham University across the street, was the assemblyman named Walsh. And you know, Walsh called the police on me, and they came in from the 4-6 precinct, Ryer Avenue, and they wanted to put me in handcuffs and take me away. And all of a sudden, some of the patrons, who happened to be black and Hispanic from the area, got up and said, no, 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 you don't understand, man. This Doberman was ready to, like, bite my arm off if I didn't give him my Big Mac. And so that's how I became friends with the assemblyman at that time, Walsh, who I think went on to become a federal judge. And his family that was from Ireland, the land of era, era, old-time Democrats, who went back to the time of Cunningham and Buckley when they ran the Democratic Party there. And the stories that they told me, the father who was uh, MTA supervisor of track workers, of the money-taking agency, it was great. But it all came about because I had basically drew the line. And I was telling this guy with the Doberman Pinch, you ain't going no further. 
I got my machete here. I'm not cutting sugar cane in Cuba. I'm not part of the Venceremos Brigade of communist sympathizers who would go over to Cuba and cut the sugar cane because they supported Fidel and Raul Castro behind the sugar cane curtain of Cuba. Oh, it's intense, intense times. But a much better time, ladies and gentlemen, now as I roam around the streets and I see, I see skelts and mutts just going in and out of stores, just eyeballing product. Worse than even the stores, and even I was bowled away by this number, it was absolutely astronomical. 90,000 packages a day are stolen in the five boroughs of the city of New York. I thought, what was that? Maybe they put an extra zero there, maybe 9,000, right? No, I double-checked it. 90,000 packages a day by porch pirates. And I started to really hone on that after I looked at that number. Obviously, I was aware the packages were being lifted all over town. But when I saw that number, 90,000 and no arrests being made. You imagine if even a quarter of these porch pirates were arrested, what it would do to the crime figures, the petty larceny that they call that, like shoplifting, they call it petty larceny, which is already up about 250% all throughout the five boroughs. It would cause the figures to skyrocket. 90,000 packages every day are stolen in the five boroughs of the city of New York. So whether they're being delivered by FedEx, United States Postal Service, uh, being delivered by Amazon or the um, UPS, whatever delivery agency, DHL, you name it. As they're being left off in the foyer of buildings, the lobby of buildings, or maybe uh, at the entry or exit point or wherever it is the customer asks them to leave the package. The porch pirates are following the delivery teams sometimes in cars, as they go from spot to spot, and basically they lift the packages, they put it in the trunk of the vehicle, they put it in the back of the vehicle, and they're gone, and no arrests are made. And they could be on video, they could be doing jumping jacks, waving. Nobody is going to get arrested. Cops don't want to deal with it because it pads their numbers. The owners and operators of the companies that deliver the packages, sometimes it's subcontracted out. Uh, from the main provider. Sometimes they get followed right from the uh, Newark International Airport, where a lot of the packages are initially uh, delivered and then divvied up and put in different trucks, rider trucks, especially for Amazon, so that they can go into their main location to be then divvied up amongst those guys and gals that have been hired by Amazon to deliver the packages door to door, business to business. When you see that, you begin to realize the lawlessness that is taking place throughout New York City. The absolute anarchy. And then to walk through the stores. Walk through stores where we used to have the freedom of movement, the freedom, the ability to, let's say, take uh, Liquid Tide off the shelf. Can't do that anymore because, you know, you got like two chains that are... strung through all the liquid tie, the other liquid detergents, the refrigerated section of the supermarkets, 
of the retail establishments, the drugstores, chained clothes. And then to look at a security officer in a uniform and knowing that he or she can't do jack diddly squat, not because they don't want to, but you can just look in their eyes. They've given up. The ownership, the management, the lawyers in particular, there are nine lawyers out there for every one citizen, right? Nine lawyers for every one citizen. And you know what they do all day, uh, Broadway, Billy and Avery? They practice their martial art, I sue. And they're ready to sue you for every nickel, diamond, penny you got. They put you on a uh, bed of nails, torturing you, making you so fearful of your own shadow that you refuse to do what any uh, rock-ribbed old American guy or gal would do in that circumstance, and that is pull out that Louisville slugger, whether it's a Rocky Calavito model, by the way, Rocky Calavito, having gone to Roosevelt High School in the Bronx, right down the block from where I was the night manager of Mickey D's, left high school, halfway through high school, had a tryout at Yankee Stadium. And you know what the Yanks said? Same like they did to Hank Greenberg, who went to Monroe High School, right? Was an almost Babe Ruthian type ball player, almost the complete package. But was a Jew. So the Yankees said, we don't want you. And Rocky Calavito, we don't want you. You're too young. You're too unseasoned. But sitting sitting out there was a scout from the Cleveland Indians who said, you don't want him. We certainly do. And now you know the rest of the story. But I digress, right? I digress. There's a whole different code of behavior. You knew that if you were going to go into that bodega, that grocery store, you knew if you were going to go into that retail establishment, there was a risk. Let me tell you about a place that's still there that from time to time when I visit, it's like homecoming for me. For a period in my life, I lived about a year at Osborne and Hegeman in the heart of Brownsville, Brooklyn, never ran, never will. Had to deal with the 73rd Precinct. Yep, every time Broadway Bill Lee, Avery, every time they had a report of a white guy throwing somebody off a roof, a white guy beating up a brother, a white guy like just trashing the hell out of somebody. They come looking for me and they bring me down to the 73rd Precinct and they try to sweat me down and say, well, you know. According to the witnesses, it was a white guy who did this. And I said, well, what are you, why are you picking me up? Why are you talking to me? Because you're the only crazy white guy who lives here. They've all left. It used to be all the Jews. They've left. Either they've gone to Canarsie or they did the hop, skip, and a jump on the Belt Parkway, Southern State. They're out in the island, Nassau, Suffolk. They ain't staying around. So naturally, every time there's a report of some crazy white boy doing something insane in the brain, we just come pick you up. I said, well, what are you, what are you accusing me of this time? And they would run through a whole laundry list of charges, and I would say, that ain't me. I said, but you're the only one. That ain't me. You got proof? But there's a particular bodega, still there, owned by the Yemenites. This goes back to uh, when I was living there, about 1974. Man, that's a tough area then, tough area now. You walked into that bodega right there on Rockaway and Livonia. 
three generation of Yemenites. I used to go in there. I used to say, hey, were you the royalists or were you the communists when they had their first civil war? They looked at me like I was talking a foreign language. Then after they got to know me over the years, seeing that I would come in, because at that time I was taking that number two train upstairs all the way to the Bronx to, uh, at that time, uh, White Plains Road and Allerton Avenue to learn to become a Mickey D's manager before they switched me to the busy store at East Fordham and Webster. They got to know me. And I saw that anytime anybody came in there looking for trouble, all these Yemenites, because it was all a family-owned operation, man. They had these Gurkha knives. And they were, like, coming out of every nook, cranny, and corner, out of the out of the back, where some of them were. They had baseball bats, man. They were ready to go to war. You walked in there. You were going to start trouble. You were going to try to steal something. They were going to tool you up. And then if you brought your homeboys back and you wanted to have a civil war, they say, go ahead. We're used to civil war. And I would say to them, well, you were part of the royalists or the communists, and they'd have a little slick left. Look at those groups who go into the roughest, toughest neighborhoods, and they somehow are able to survive in a retail establishment in a brick-and-mortar store because they don't follow the rules. It's not the Robin, uh, it's not the Marcus Queensberry rules of boxing. Hell no. It's the rules of survival. Just like the Chaldeans who run the party stores in Detroit. Can you get any tougher than the inner city of Detroit? No. And they walk around with AK-47s in. In the party stores, which are like uh, our former grocery stores. Tough Christian Iraqians. In fact, that's right, Bill, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, they thought that I was one of them. When uh, Coleman Young, the mayor for life there, King Coleman Young, locked me up for 10 days and told me to get out of town, they wanted to bail me out. Why? Because they said in Chaldean, my name Sliwa, Assyrian means crucifix. And that the archbishop of their church, which is a variation of the Catholic church, was named Sliwa. And I said, I hate to disappoint you, but my last name is uh, Polish. Sliwa means plump like in Ukrainian and Russian. They said, well, what would you rather be, a crucifix or a plum? Hmm. I had to think about that for a while. From time to time, you go to my Wikipedia page, and what happens? Somebody puts in there, he is a person of Assyrian ancestry. Not true. Although, what would you rather have your last name be? Plum, like Schliebowitz wine, or uh, like the Chaldeans have. Spoke the language of Jesus, Aramaic. You know, you saw that in Mel Gibson, what was that, Temptation, uh, Last Temptation of Christ, one of those names. But if your last name ain't crucifix, huh? And man, I've seen these Chaldeans in Detroit put a whooping on shoplifters. Back while patrolling in southwest Detroit with the Detroit Guardian Angels, they were doing inventory in one of these mini supermarkets, and they went off to have lunch in a diner a few blocks away, and they left the side door open, schmucks, putzes. And I saw that people were pouring in, and they were grabbing meat and poultry, 
They were grabbing cigarettes. They were grabbing the Pampers. Anything that was easy to sell, the liquor. And they were running out of the store, man. It was looting. It was like all of a sudden Powerball. It was like all of a sudden it was the greatest day in their life. I said, how the hell am I going to stop this, man? It's like dozens of them. They're coming from everywhere. And so I ran inside with the guardian angels and I said, yo, police coming. Yo, police coming. Quick, 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 quick. Get out, 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 out. And they start running out. They start falling down, <laughs> dropping stuff. And then they realize, psych, that white boy faked us out. Got some of those mops, got some of those uh, brooms and put them in the door to keep them locked. And man, then they were coming back for a vengeance. They wanted to bust through those windows. Then finally, 5-0, the Detroit Police Department arrived and everybody did the bird. And so after we risked our lives for the, what, product, you could call it, so that more pampas wouldn't be stolen, more cigarettes, more liquor, more meat wouldn't be stolen, the Chaldeans come back from having lunch and they got toothpicks in their mouth. And they start screaming at me, saying, what kind of guardian angel are you? Go back to New York. Man, look at our store. And I said, schmuck, putz, you left the side door open. And you're yelling at me? I could have walked by here and taken the attitude MYOB like almost everybody else. Mind your own business. But it's a war out there, ladies and gentlemen. And the war has to be fought by us. Because the police have given up. They have been stripped of their dignity, their pride, their ability to do their job. They have been rendered impotent. The lawyers are out there, massive numbers, ready to uh, practice their martial art of ISU. District attorneys who uh, might as well become uh, defense attorneys because criminal rights are sacrosanct. Victims' rights right out there in the street. We're Drek. We're Drek. So, ladies and gentlemen, look... I've had a movie, excuse me, documentary made about me called Vigilante. People people have this impression of me worldwide that I am the world's number one vigilante. Look, I'll wear that scarlet letter with pride. I would much rather be known for fighting back, getting in your face, not giving an inch because then you give a mile, than being a wuss. What happened to all the men in our society? Where have all the men gone? Oh, yeah, there's some brave ones out there. We saw that. Daniel Penny ended up getting arrested when he intervened on that F train. Jordan Williams, the 20-year-old strap hanger, who was defending his girlfriend and the other passengers on that J train. Jose Alba, who wasn't going to take it anymore when that Cretan with chromosome damage came over the counter in that bodega in Harlem. And then remember that Harlem fish market worker, Junior Hernandez, who stabbed a man and wounded his brother after they were thwarted from uh, shoplifting shrimp. You know, those jumbo shrimp that you love, uh, Broadway Bill Lee and Red Lobster? Yeah, yeah. He killed them for that. You have no choice any longer. We're on our own. We've been abandoned by government. There are no DAs. They've disrespected us. They've abandoned ship. And the cops are leaving in mass. Another article in the Post today talking about the mass exodus. You know, it's old school ways, Avery. When you go to church in a few hours before the pastor, tell them you want to hear Old Testament, no New Testament today. You want to hear eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. 
It's how I survived in running a Mickey D's in the Bronx in the 70s when the Bronx was burning. And how I oftentimes dealt with retail establishments who would have people coming in there like locusts in a cornfield. And then I would watch them just beat the hell out of everyone who came in and violated their space. And told them, come back and you'll get more. Old schooled ways in this new day of cameras, technology, where the cops arrive always after the fact and then look at you in your eyes and tell you there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. So, police, NYPD, then step out of the way and just act like you didn't see what we just did. Put your window shades on your eyes, don't answer your 911 calls, and leave it to us. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. It's a jungle out there. It is an absolute jungle out there. Survival of the fittest, Darwinian. You don't fend for yourself and your fellow employees and your customer base. You're going to be left to hang out in the wind and then become fodder for the thugs and thugettes. On Guns N' Roses, as a writer was following Axel and Slash, and right before a performance years ago, Slash had uh, OD right outside the dressing room, and they couldn't revive him. No Narcon back then. Somehow they got him on his feet. He went out there and performed. And then afterwards, guess who come came backstage while he was... Uh, Unveiling his uh, male stature, Elizabeth Taylor, who was eyeballing him like it was the first time she had ever seen a um, three-piece set. Is that freaky deaky or what? Right before the concert, you're almost dead from an overdose. They somehow revive you, put you in an ice bath. You get up there, you play guitar, you slash, you can't even see through your hair. You wear that stupid hat on your head. And then after the concert, back in the dressing room, who walks in? Elizabeth Taylor. And you rolled out your tar paper, and she's looking and looking and looking like she never saw it before. Is that freaky deaky or what? Avery, you're a church boy. You shouldn't be listening to this. You understand Broadway Bill Lee, you and your partner Joe Causey over at WCBS-FM. 
It's very decadent and debaucherous over there during the week, even though it's the, the Depends Brigade there now at FM. Freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and, of course, that Mama Luke Frank Morano. Well, let's go right to the uh, phones. It's Bobby in Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Curtis, good evening. Uh, yeah, my mom and aunt had a deli in Jersey City for 14 years on Wright Avenue, Marion section, down the block from the Marion Gardens, Tony Circle, very busy area, uh, predominantly Italian block area. Curtis, 14 years, never an issue. Like you said, where were the men? The men were there. Mary, if you have a problem, don't hesitate. Vito across the street with the brick oven bakery. Mary, you have a problem, don't hesitate. They just know, heard Curtis, that if there was a problem, the people would have a problem. And so nobody ever acted up, and and that's that's what we're missing. And they're giving these knuckle, these mama loops a thousand dollars to steal carte blanche. It's 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 bizarre, Curtis. Well, well, Bobby, that. Bobby, we never called the cops. There was no such yeah. thing calling nine one one. There was no nine one one when I was a little kid. What what's nine one one? A guy would no. come in and there were some dope fiends back then, guys strung out. Yeah. And they'd be looking to steal and oh my God, by the time they got out the door they were crawling down the block. They needed to wear a cast on their leg or their arm. And everybody saw them walking around the neighborhood with a cast and everybody knew they did something real bad, real wrong. You judge, you Bobby. Yep. Everybody understood yep. there was a price to pay. If you tried to steal and you got caught, there was a hell of a yep. price to pay. A beat that. Curtis, the only nine one one was for the ambulance. That's about it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, no. The men, the men said we don't need to call the the police. We'll take care of business. Uh, the yeah. ambulance comes, you know, put them in the back, you know, take them in the meat wagon to the ER, stitch them up. But there was no such yeah. thing as you called the cops. You you took matters into your own hands. Yeah. And unfortunately, what are they doing, Bobby? They're forcing us to do that again. Let's go to Russell and Far Rockaway. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Russ. Yeah, Curtis. Um. You know, the, the Louisville Slugger, there's a problem with that because, you know, you, you, you bash somebody up and you're going to catch a charge. You're going to break, break his skull and you'll catch a charge. Now, if you use a stickball bat, you can raise a good set of lumps, you can tune up his knees, and then he'll leave you alone. It is a very good street smart analogy of the difference between swinging a Louisville slugger uh, at somebody and uh, getting your mom's old broomstick that you had cut up and customized into a stickball bat and tooling them up with that. You are you couldn't be more hopelessly right, Russell. You are a, a cognoscente. You are uh, an aficionado on the proper way of tooling somebody up. Uh, yep, a, a good mop handle. You get two security guards sa- standing in your CVS, twirling these mop handles around, standing in the, the lobby, and all these discretions, they'll know exactly what that means. You see that? And they'll go away. Russell is a cognoscente. You see, it's an art. It's an art. It's the art of survival. Look at the cops now, right? They don't have nightsticks. They took the nightsticks away. 
How stupid was that, right? When a cop had had enough, what would he do, right, Broadway Billy? He'd pull a nightstick out. Then you knew he was, he meant business. Avery, you were too young at that time, you know, too busy going to school, you know, singing in the choir, not, not understanding. You know, the cop would put up with a lot of stuff. You'd be talking yin-yang, you know, you'd be doing the chicken dance, but not really getting serious. Cop would let you tie yourself out, and then eventually he or she would take the nightstick out and say, are you finished? Are you finished? Because next thing, I'm putting the cuffs on you. And once I put the cuffs on you, they don't get taken off until we get to the precinct. So stop with the chicken dance. Stop dancing and prancing. Watch your language. Because if I pull the nightstick out, next thing I pull out are the handcuffs. Sometimes you didn't even have to say it. It was understood. You know, the chicken dance, right? Uh, Broadway Billy, you know, the dance. Yeah, yeah, like the Muhammad Ali. Yeah, I'll knock you out. Sucker, I'll knock you out. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. Come get yours, right? Come get yours. Man, I love it. I watch these guys like five, ten minutes, you know, huffing and puffing, and then all of a sudden they go, can I have my pump? What do you mean your pump? I got asthma. You, you know, I, I'm all out of breath. Hey, you got my, hey, yo, Raheem, you got my pump? I left my pump at home. I said, well, that's because you're doing the chicken dance, man. Oh, my God, did they put on a performance. Oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get my boys. No, no, you ain't getting your boys because you ain't getting no time to leave here to get your boys. Remember that great scene, uh, Chaz Palminteri? In the bar when the bikers came in. Remember when all of a sudden he closed the doors and then he started giving out the bats to all of his supreme cuisines. And they looked at him and said, yo, what's going on? He said, man, you ain't leaving. You ain't leaving, man. <laughs> and they tooled him up. Old school ways. Old school ways. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Mike calling from Woodside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, Curtis, you're absolutely right. You remember the old saying, spare the rod, spoil the neighborhood, or spoil the child, basically. You're absolutely right on that one. But my question is this. Do you think what's happening with uh, within the 75th precinct, they have, what, five shootings today? And then four shootings in uh, 102nd precinct. These two precincts, one in Brooklyn, one in Queens, is this all one specific gang doing stuff, or is this, you know, possibly election or politics related? That's my, that's my question to you. You know the streets better than anyone. Yeah, no, Mike, uh, it's young bloods out there feeling their oats. They get on a scooter, they get on a motorcycle, and all of a sudden they start capping shots. Uh, in the Queen situation, unfortunately, like, imagine an 86-year-old guy is there ready to cross the street, uh, he's trying to avoid vehicular traffic, and he catches a full bull, a few bullets and dies. And the other guy is like 61. Uh, all the victims were up there in age. You know, they were 55 plus. They were AARP. This guy was just capping shots. He got caught. In the 75th precinct, you know, it's generally gang-related. That's the largest precinct in the city, and it's got a lot of pockets of violence. They don't let the cops do what they used to do in the 75 precinct or nearby in Brownsville, the 73rd precinct, or in Jamaica. 
uh, where there's a lot of activity, Mike. So every situation is different and unique, but I find that there are a lot of young men uh, who uh, love to carry guns. You know, if you notice, they have the fanny packs now. They brought back the fanny packs from the 80s, except they wear them over their shoulder. They got their 9 millimeter fully loaded. They got a few clips in there. And then all of a sudden, uh, if they get caught by 5-0 and they haven't shot anybody uh, in Brooklyn, they go to Eric Gonzalez, the DA there. And you know what he does? He gives them remediation. He doesn't arrest them. He says, I tell you what, you show up uh, for a counselor session four times a month. Uh, and if you attend all four sessions, we give you pizza and Coca-Cola and Red Hook. And you cross your heart and you hope to die, Mike. You promise you'll never do it again. Uh, there's no record. You know, we don't arrest you. Uh, we don't have to seal your record. Basically, we gave you counseling, remediation, and now we return you to the streets. And you know what, Mike? They go back and say, you're never going to believe what happened to me. No, what? Tell me. Uh, they basically gave me pizza and Coca-Cola, asked me if I would ever do it again. I am not stupid. I said, of course not. I'll never do this again. In the meantime, next week they're out there doing it all over again, Mike. Yeah. No consequences. No consequences. And now they're talking about, well, you know, maybe NYPD is going to have to get back to doing the uh, traffic uh, chases. You know, when a car uh, with uh, bogus plates, paper plates, violating every vehicular law imaginable, decides to uh, burn rubber and not stop uh, based on the police asking them to stop, pull over. And now they're going to let them re-engage them and go and chase them, which is good. Watch. First accident, first tragedy, and I'll stop that policy right in its tracks. And these thugs and thugettes, let's not leave the ladies out, thugettes, will start popping donuts in front of the cops and daring them like they do in Newark. Dare them. Go ahead. Follow us. Go ahead. Chase us. Come on. Get in a chase. And Raj Baraka over there, you know, the friend of all criminals. The evil seed of Leroy Jones, a.k.a. Amira Baraka, hated all white people, hated all white people, loved criminals, like father, like son. Imagine he's the mayor of Newark now. And what does he tell the cops when they start popping donuts in front of them when they're on a high-speed chase? Cease and desist. Don't chase them. You know how humiliating that is for the cops? You know, it's like emasculating them. It's like turning them into geldings. You know what a gelding is? You have any idea, Broadway Billy? You have any idea, uh, Avery, what a gelding is? What's a gelding, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. What was it? Uh, John Gotti Sr., my enemy of all enemies, used to uh, run the... Uh, Bergen Hunt Fish and Shoot Human Beings Club on 101st Avenue in uh, Ozone Park. Him and his degenerates came from uh, Rockaway and Fulton, East New York. He used to say you could stick a steeple up my ass. 
I don't care. I'll steal from the poor box. Yeah, see this concept that, oh, they would never do that. They would. They would. Reminds me of what happened earlier today. Was at the um, Brooklyn Church, Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I think it was Resurrection Church in Garrison Beach. 11.30 in the morning. Some of the elderly women on their way to church, they go every day, especially if they're widows. They do the Stations of the Cross. They say they're Hail Marys. They're our fathers. They light candles for the dearly departed. Sometimes they do it a year or more. And they saw a vandal spraying black paint all over the statue of the Virgin Mother Mary. And the word fake had been written on it. Turns out it was a guy, Jonathan uh, Bullock, arrested for spray painting the statue right in Gerritsen Beach. Apparently, he lives right near the church. He was taken to a hospital for psychiatric evaluation, charged with criminal mischief as a hate crime. You know what's going to happen. He's going to psych up out. They probably took him to Kings County. They'll, they'll cut him loose, and he'll be back at home plotting his next vandalism against some religious property somewhere in Garrison Beach. He was caught in the act by witnesses who detained him until the police arrived. He appeared to be writing another word when he was caught. Evelyn Sullivan, 71 years old, has been going to the church since she was a teenager and was in agony over this crime. Quote, I was walking down the street to go to the store and thought, oh, somebody put a veil on Mother Mary's head. Okay, she said. And as I got closer and actually saw it, I started to cry. I was wailing, oh my God. And it says fake something. The statue had been vandalized in the past and was previously replaced after a fundraising campaign. Quote, when is enough enough, New York State Catholic Action Chairperson James Russell said. This report echoes what we have known for a long time. Crimes against our churches and other houses of worship have been on the rise. A man who identified himself as Ron said he would try to turn the other cheek. I'm sure Jesus would forgive him, said the man who has been going to the church for a decade. So I'm going to try to. Again, as my enemies have said repeatedly, one thing you know about Curtis Sliwa, he does not forgive, he does not forget. I may have been grown up in the New Testament mode of Jesus turning your cheek, and I say, I don't turn my cheek. What I do is, you give me beef, I bust your teeth. I guess we can attribute that to the Old Testament. What do you think, Broadway Billy? Hey, Avery, what do you think? Is that that old school value system? Is that, you know, the old world Bible? You think it's written in there? What do you think? In uh, Deuteronomy, what do you think? If you give me beef, I bust your teeth. 
Uh, words to that effect. How many people have told me, oh, what would Jesus have done? What would Jesus have done? Did he toss the moneylenders out of the temple, huh? He wasn't turning the cheek to that, was he? Huh? Huh? Got a little angry, a little hot under the collar there, right? Okay, for each his own. You want to follow the New Testament? Fine. You know, hey, you'll be turned into a speed bump. Can you imagine following the New Testament now where complete anarchy prevails? Where they're coming into your house, they're coming into your store, they're coming into your house of worship like they got it. They send them for a psychiatric observation and then what happens? They cut them loose and they're right back there to do it all over again. They give us no choice, ladies and gentlemen. They want us to move. They want us out of here. They want us to surrender. They want us to retreat. Just as when I was running for mayor, I said, improve, don't move. We fight for what we know is right individually and as a group. Old school ways prevail. It's Darwinian survival of the fittest. If you're... Your bad guys and bad gals, as Trump used to say, bad hombres. Well, meet the good hombres, and it's high noon every day, every night. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. The sharks. They're out there in large numbers off the south shore of Nassau County and Suffolk County. Going out to the east end, the north shore. Oh, yeah, they're in force. You listen to the news reports, they'd have you believe they're in a feeding uh, frenzy. Once again, they're back and on the attack. Let me tell you, it reminds me of a time more than a decade ago. The word came from a very bucolic area in the North Shore. Greenport, the gem of the North Fork. Greenport was right there. You take the ferry over to Shelter Island if you're on the other side of Shelter Island. What is it, like uh, one traffic stop, Shelter Island? You're on the other side, right? You could take it to Sag Harbor and the Hamptons. Or you could take the ferry to Orient Beach State Park, right? But there's Greenport there. And I remember we were summoned out there because there was a park right downtown near the carousel, very small community, where the uh, police had been disbanded because of the cost of keeping a local small municipal police department. I think uh, they were being patrolled by nearby South Hold. 
and I attended a huge meeting of the merchants because they got a lot of little tchotchke shops there in a beautiful town, Greenport. I'm trying to remember, there were the hotels like the American Beach Hotel, the Harbor Front Inn, and all kinds of art galleries. I got, what was it, the Krabby Jerry's? Uh, yeah, Krabby, you know, like... Uh, Crabby crumb cakes, you know, sometimes I say to my wife, Nancy, she has no coffee in the morning. You know, you're a real crabby crumb cake. Oh, man. The cats go running and hiding because she's, she's, like, throwing stuff at them. Get yourself a cup of coffee, would you please? So I walk into this meeting, and there was this little bucolic park. I'm looking at the park, and they had drug dealers there, hardcore drug dealers. People would be coming in from the North Fork to South Fork, obviously kids with a lot of scattle, moolah schmoolah. And it was causing major problems. And I remember in the middle of this retail meeting with all these owner and operators of these little tchotchke mom and pop brick and mortar shops, some of them who had come to buy homes out there from New York City. And things were doing very well on Wall Street. And I'll never forget, the head of the Merchants Association said, if we bring the Guardian Angels in, it'll be like the movie Jaws. Everyone will clear off the beach. I looked at the guy and I said, what are you competing for an Academy Award? How melodramatic is this? If you bring the Guardian Angels in to deal with the drug dealers, what? It's like, George, everybody's going to be off the beach. What, are you going to have a guardian angel watchtower? What was that in George 2, remember? And the guy was serious as a heart attack. And I said, you know, you just put up that antique carousel at Mitchell Park. And it is gorgeous, that carousel, but nobody's going to come. If there are drug dealers there, and you think the drug dealers are just going to stay in the park... No, slowly but surely, they're going to come and strangle the life out of you because they're making a lot of money here. It's people with wealth and equity, and they're rolling up to the park, and they're buying their nickel and dime bags. They're buying their cocaine, buying their crack. They're coming from the city to sell drugs out here. You know, you need like a weed whacker, you know, weeds are growing in the flower bed. You need a weed whacker, right? We, we consider us the whacker of the drug dealers and the thugs and thugettes. So finally, the mayor, uh, his name escapes me now, is actually the head of the local uh, American Civil Liberties Union uh, in the North Fork, agreed to not only have us come in, but uh, started a guardian angel group there himself. He became the chapter leader. He was into real estate. And he was saying, man, this is a menace to our community. This is a stain. And yes, Broadway, Billy and Avery, we got busy. Remember that scene, uh, what was it, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jack Nicholson? Who was that movie about? Remember where Leonardo DiCaprio is waiting for Jack Nicholson to come out and he's all bloodied. He comes out of the back room and he goes, hey, I got work to do. I got to get into the back room. And the guy is screaming back there. Ah! Who is that movie about, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
But here we go. Fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. The sharks are out there. And there was uh, Nassau County uh, Executive Bruce Blakeman there, you know, with the binoculars, looking out to Robert Moses State Park, Jones Beach, looking for the fins coming out of the water like Jaws. And on the Suffolk County line was Steve Ballone, the Democratic uh, County Executive of Suffolk. Uh, he's, uh, I think, term limited out or whatever the hell he's leaving, thank God. And he had his binoculars on, and they were calling in drones. Drones, in fact, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb can't deal with the crime in the streets of Suffolk or Nassau or the five boroughs of Buffalo or Rochester or Utica or Albany or Syracuse or Newburgh to Camden on the Hudson. But, oh, boy, she can deal with sharks. And they had 20 drones out there, and they're all looking into the surf. And if they see that fin come out of the water, the lifeguards with that white schmutz on their nose. What is that white schmutz anyway? Shark! Shark! Sharknado! Sharknado! Fear, fright, hysteria, and hype, ladies and gentlemen. Tell me now, tell me that this is the biggest problem that you have in the South Shore. Let me tell you something. There is a remedy for that. I'll discuss that with you momentarily because it has to do with the political season and the political cycle. But I have never seen so many helicopters in the air hovering above Robert Moses State Park, Jones Beach, all the way out to the Mauritius in the East End. And they were hell-bent on following those fins out of the water. Sharks! Sharks! And they were going live at five, right? Oh my God, the cameras were trained on the ocean for the new shark patrol. And I had an image, a flashback, that's right, Broadway Billy of Martin Brody looking out over the beaches of Amity Island in his shark tower in Jaws 2. No, we'll send in the National Guard to protect the shuttle. That's right. You know who starred in Sharknado 3, who was the head of Central Command? It was our own Anthony Weiner that I appeared with on Saturday. Left versus right, three to four. Sir, are we launching? We can't. God, that, that should have earned him a supporting actor's uh, nomination in the Academy Awards. And now, riding on drone power and jet skis, exploring every granule, every particulae of sand at Jones Beach State Park, a shark patrol is active. Not to get criminals. Oh, hell no, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb. But to get those sharks, four confirmed shark bites, one suspected shark bite reported in just two days off of the Long Island coast. And the state of New York wants you to know, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, that they're coming for the sharks. They're coming for the sharks. Oh, God. What has it become? Criminals in the streets, home invasions, shoplifters, boosters, looters. 
No, you're not even safe to go for a dip in the ocean. Oh, God. What does life have in store for us? Do you know on day one of this shark alert, 200 yards off Robert Moses Beach at 8 a.m., there were about 50 sand sharks that they saw. Long Island Parks Regional Director George Gorman said, Uh-oh, we have to issue a clarification. We may have over-exaggerated. We may have embellished that it was 50 sand sharks. Actually, we've been monitoring the movement with surveillance drones for about an hour and a half. And you know what it turned out to be? A large group of harmless fish known as black drums. How embarrassing, ladies and gentlemen. Before Bruce Blakeman, the Nassau County Executive, and Steve Malone, and an army of drones, and Kathy Crimewave Holcomb declaring war on sharks. In the words of Anthony Weiner, star of Sharknado, NATO, whatever the hell, three... Colonel, this is Director Regina. We're not hearing any response. No response! We thought it was 50 sand sharks. We cleared the beach. We told everybody, stay home. Don't come to the South Shore. And it turned out that it was a school of large, harmless fish known as Black Drum. You see, Avery and Broadway Bill Lee, blacks always get him. Blame for this, right? Not the silver sharks. No, no, no. Not the great white ones. No. The black drums. And they accentuate black in their descriptions of this menace offshore. And they tell us that sand sharks are very common off of Long Island, noting that the large school was not something out of the ordinary, but that individuals are more common as their fins pop out of the water and they go up and down and all around. There was a 15-year-old girl swimming off of Robin Moses Beach about 1.45 in the afternoon Monday. And she said that something had bit her leg. She suffered small puncture wounds. But it remains unconfirmed whether she was munched on by a shark or possibly a black drum. Fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. All of the media outlets were out there. They sent their helicopter force to go live at at 5. And then you saw out in Fire Island, a 15-year-old boy was surfing at Kismet Beach when a shark took a bite at his feet and left him with puncture wounds in his ankles and toes. This gave us an opportunity to prove that we could fight back. Kathy Crimewave Holcomb came down from Albany in her state police helicopter to lead this effort. And you saw state troopers everywhere crawling along Jones Beach and Robert Moses State Park. And then all of a sudden, uh, a sharkologist appeared and said, Wait a second, sand sharks are generally docile creatures. Why are you blaming the sharks? 
And then he said, on those rare occasions when they do bite humans, it is usually because hands or feet were mistaken for the bunker or other bait fish that they feed on. When attacks do occur on Long Island, it is not uncommon for them to be from sand sharks. The confirmed Fire Island bite was the first of the 2023 summer season on Long Island, following eight reported attacks last year. An unusually high number that resulted in Governor Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb bolstering surveillance capabilities. Your governor at work. She won't stop home invasions. She won't stop drug dealing. She won't stop gangs. She won't stop rampant open crime anarchy. But she's hell-bent on stopping those sharks. She actually has in the governor's mansion on Eagle Street eight Huge 72-inch plaza, big-screen TVs from the cameras that are aimed on the south shore of Long Island, from the Mauritius all the way out in the east end to the nautical mile Freeport. She's got every square inch in the south shore under surveillance. I feel so much better knowing that our governor is working to protect all of us from the sand sharks. Now, once again, let me let you know that 200 yards off of Robert Moses Beach, around 8 a.m., during the busy 4th of July holiday, they cleared the beach because some intrepid uh, lifeguard with that white schmutz on its nose. By the way, nobody has yet described what the hell is that white schmutz on their noses. Had spotted a school of what he described to be sand sharks. And he ordered, clear the deck, out of the water, the sharks are here. And it turned out to be a harmless school of black drum fish. Proving once again, when all else fails, blame the blacks. And don't they all look the same to us, ladies and gentlemen? How can we define one black drum fish from another black drum fish? We're able to define the sand sharks, the great white ones, right? They've done movies about them, documentaries. But lo and behold, we don't know what a black drum looks like. Maybe the state police should put a lineup up, uh, Broadway Billy. Uh, you would have to volunteer, so would Avery. They'll have to give up going to church this morning at 10 o'clock. We'll put you up there with some black drums. And watch, the people who got bit will pick you out, Bill. And we'll pick Avery out. And another righteous, Uriel, Asiatic black man will go to jail for a crime he did not commit when it was the black drum fish. This is the greatest threat to our freedom that exists for those who live in Nassau and Suffolk County. You need to know that your uh, your county executives are hard at work with you in tandem with the governor because they are spending whatever tax dollars remain in our fiscally challenged budget to make sure when you put your feet in that water that those damn sharks are not nibbling away at your gnarly feet. No! You should have the right to go out into the surf 
whether it is five inches, five feet, and be unmolested by any sharks. Or in this embarrassing case, this school of black drumfish. Could it be, ladies and gentlemen, that the sharks were there first? Could it be Broadway Bill Lee and Avery that the sharks were there long before men or women and children were frolicking in the surf? Could it be that just like with the indigenous people, as uh, Ben and Jerry pointed out, who were on this sacred land before we were invaders, that we have invaded the ocean, that in fact that was the turf of the sharks that we can date back to prehistoric times? My golly, let's get a grip on ourselves. Is the enemy the sharks or is the enemy mankind? Have we expanded our devious ways of all of a sudden co-opting all the seas? We've taken it from the, uh, we've taken it from the shellfish, the trafe. We've taken it from the lobsters. Look, look at what we do to lobsters, Broadway Billy. We catch them off the Long Island shore. We boil water in a pot, and then we boil them. You don't think they're mad at us? And then, of course, the clams and the oysters. We go into their turf, we demand that like Casanova, who had 50 oysters a day, to make sure his libido was in operating form, the Lothario that he was. What kind of a human being would down 50 oysters a day? Do you know how much time and energy it took to raise those 50 oysters from little baby oysters only to be snatched up by a guy named Casanova who needed it for his libido? I would say that we have crossed over that line. We have declared war on the sharks, not the sharks declaring war on us. And I want you to know I'm going to suggest remedies that work on the Jersey Shore. The Jersey Shore. Because you cannot just depend on man or woman-made methods. Notice I'm being politically correct. I man and woman-made. I got to always include both. But I feel so much better knowing that Instead of Congressman Lee Zeldin being our governor as he sits there in his home with his wife and two daughters in bucolic Shirley out in Suffolk County, we have a woman whose claim to fame is that she can look out of a kitchen window and see Ontario across the river, Lake Erie. River, lake, whatever. Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb responding to this threat on all of humankind. Isn't it nice to know we have a governor who dares to care? Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. An attack against one is an attack on all. How could you go out to your yachts on the nautical mile there in Freeport? How could you dare sit down for a brunch knowing that some of our fellow men and women 
transgenders, transformers, non-binary, whatever, the, whatever you want to be described as, are under threat. I want you to know from Greenport to Shelter Island to Orient Beach, we must come together in solidarity. We must join with our governor. We must join with the county executives. We must join with the state police. And we must hunt them down with every form of technology that has been created. Drones, helicopters, sonar, depth charges. Why not bring in the PT boats? Why not fire off the depth charges and eliminate this menace? This is a war. It's either the sharks or us. Remember, nominated for a Supporting Actor uh, Award in the, years ago in uh, the Academy Awards, was our own Anthony Weiner, star of Sharknado 3. Remember, when out of the skies the sharks were coming? And who is it that saved the day in Sharknado 3 as sharks rained upon the swamp in Washington, D.C., the deep state? It was our own Anthony Weiner here at WABC. And Hasselhoff, yes, the greatest singer ever in the history of Germany. Hasselhoff of Baywatch. He and Anthony Weiner were co-stars of Sharknado 3. If ever you want to know how to fend off a shark attack, you've got to watch that. Go out, go ahead. I don't know if it's on Apple TV, whatever the hell it is. You've got to see it. And it's Sharknado 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. A threat, a menace to our freedom, our democracy, our way of life, the ability to go to Robin Moses State Park. Jones Beach. Thank God they haven't invaded Long Island Sound. Thank God they haven't gone to Sunken Meadows Park. Whereas a young little whippersnapper, I remember I thought that was Nirvana. I thought that was paradise. When my Aunt Mary and my Uncle Steve said, we're not going to Coney Island. We're not even going to the Rockaways, the Irish Riviera. Know where we're going. Sunken Meadow Park. <gasps> Trees, forested areas, picnics, picnic tables, pits for barbecue, a playground with basketball courts with hoop with hoops that were still up that hadn't been that hadn't been vandalized and stolen under the cover of darkness. And then as I looked out, oh my god, the Long Island Sound. I could see the rich across the Long Island Sound from Sunky Meadows Park. Yes, Broadway, Bill Lee and Avery. I could see them in Larchmont. I could see them in Mamaroneck. I could see Rye Beach itself, Rye Playland. Oh, God. My hands across the Long Island Sound. From Nassau County to Westchester. And Rye Playland. Isn't this what America is about? The freedom to be able to go to a beach and be unmolested by sharks in the water. Or those jellyfish with their stingers. Or on occasion, 
what we used to think were old German helmets washing ashore at Plum Beach along the Bell Parkway. Yes, the horseshoe crabs. It's ours. We took this country from the native indigenous people, according to Ben and Jerry's, who were from where, Avery? Long Island originally, before they escaped to Vermont. Where every man, woman, and child can carry a gun, no matter how liberal or progressive. They don't have to worry about an invasion of sharks from Chesapeake. No, 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 no. They don't have to worry about that. But we do. And we need to come together, because if we don't fend off these sharks now, who knows? First it's the Mauritius, then it's Robin Moses State Park, then it's Jones Beach. Then it's the Nautical Mile in Freeport. And then Long Beach. In honor of our brother in solidarity, Bernard McGurk, no longer with us. Who would be seen strolling along the boardwalk of Long Beach in Nassau County on the other side of Bayswater and Far Rockaway and Five Towns. We cannot allow this to take place. Oh my God, what has become of the sanctity of using a beach? I never had those concerns in Coney Island or Brighton Beach or Manhattan Beach, no. Never had those concerns in Plum Beach where you weren't supposed to be swimming in Jamaica Bay. And I never had those concerns when I snuck into the Irish Riviera Breezy Point. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Avery, don't ever go to Reese Park there as you work your way east. And go to Bay One and watch men stripped down butt naked who love other men. Or Bay 2, which is for the nudists, the naturalists, as they call them. Oh, my God, your eyes will be defiled. And then, of course, to the probably the cleanest area of beach in our city, unused, magnificent in its white sands that glisten in the sun. Far Rockaway itself. Now, you may get shot in Redfern and Auburn and Edgemere for sure. Per square inch, maybe some of the most dangerous terrain in all of New York City. Ask the cops of the 100th precinct, the 101st. But oh, that beach, so pristine. With the groins that have been put out there by the Army Corps of Engineers. With the dirges. Do you understand what a dirge is? Of course not, Avery. You're nautically challenged. But I remember days in which my father would take me about there and say, you see the groins out there? You see the dirges? You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? You're just not cognoscente when it comes to taking on these sharks. If we don't win this battle against the sharks... We will lose America as we know it today. Join me in solidarity, please, on our numbers 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. On the weekend. Oofa. Oofa. It's a 
another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Was that the theme song to what great weekly program that briefly was the number one program in America? Number one program in America. Every week we would see a guy named Mike Nelson. He uh, was formerly uh, a Navy frogman who left the service about four years. Before this series began, and became a freelance scuba diver who would take on the shark menace in a a boat called the Argonaut, huh? The Argonaut, what does that remind you of, huh? Where is that from, the Argonaut? Oh, you don't know, do you, Broadway Billy? Huh? You don't know your Greek mythology, do you? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Glenn and Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glenn. Yes, Mr. Sleewood, what do you think would be more uh, in this day and age where people are getting sued left and right for doing absolutely nothing wrong that the uh, lifeguards on uh, Rockaway or wherever, the Howard Beach or uh, Jones Beach would put people in from the shore because they might, you know, they might get sued. I, I, you know, I, I would like your opinion on that. Well, you're you know, absolutely, everybody's scared. you're absolutely correct, Len. There are, uh, out of every 10 people, there are nine lawyers, all of whom practice their martial <laughs> art. I sue every day. They, they have, they have us afraid of inhaling or exhaling. Uh, you're absolutely correct, Len. Uh, it is a constant litigation, a society in which we're afraid of our own shadow. But I will tell you, uh, which part of Howard Beach are you in? New Howard Beach, Old Howard Beach, or? I'm in just before the Cross Bay Bridge. I'm in New, How- New Howard Beach. I don't like it because I don't like the. Um, I moved from Middle Village. I thought you from Middle Village. I uh, I don't like the connotation. Of- uh, maybe I'm mis, uh, mis saying that that you know now I live in Howard Beach. I'm Irish German, but I live with uh, a bunch of Sicilians. I don't like you know New Park Pizza, all that other crap all that went over over here, and uh, I'm not, I, I'm uncomfortable. No, no, understood, understood. You're in a great place, Middle Village, Glendale. You moved to Howard Beach. That is a, a great place uh, in comparison to a lot of neighborhoods. But I will yeah. tell you, it's got the Jamaica Bay Inlet there, the back flush. If there's ever any inclement weather, man, you gotta you gotta batten your hatches down because that back bay flush comes in and floods everywhere, Glenn. And uh, you are absolutely correct. If the and by the way, Glenn, what the hell is That's that schmutz that the uh, 
that the lifeguards put on that white schmutz that they put on their oh, nose? It's, uh, uh, something oxide. I forget. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm Irish and German. My father was dark skinned. I'm a little more on my Irish side, and uh, I don't put it on because it looks like uh, you know don't look, look good. Looks but, ridiculous, uh, <laughs> right? It looks like the next thing they're going to send you for is a psychiatric observation. But I I have seen what you're talking about on the the first bridge, which is the Cross Bay Bridge coming from Howard Beach going over to um, Broad Channel. uh, With Sydney, we have Broad Channel. Exactly. That was the Broad Channel Bridge. But the first bridge is the Abadobo, uh, Adabo. Abadabadubo Bridge, right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On the right side or the left side, I've seen some... uh, People uh, perish. They're they're kids, and they're young, and they're uh, they're of color. They're maybe uh, Indian. There's a lot of they do a lot of uh, rituals on that side of the bridge, which I appreciate. I I just you know I look and I you know well, you're very I, I res- you're very uh, cogent. You're very astute as a new arrival to New Howard Beach. As opposed to old Howard Beach, where I spent a lot of time growing up in my Aunt Mary's house. Or even the best uh, kept secret in New York City, Hamilton Beach, where the Shanty Irish uh, live now. It's a mixed area. Ah, great place there. You got Jamaica Bay right there. And when it back flushes, oh, my God. Uh, no sharks could survive that back flush, I tell you that much. Let's go to uh, Eddie, who's calling from Nassau County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Yay. Salutations to you, Curtis, and the rest of the gang. Look, a quick uh, Nassau County shark report. The story goes that there's the school of sharks that were swimming in the water, and the student said to the teacher, Teacher, why do you make us go around the swimmers several times and show our, show our fins before we go in for our luncheon? And he said, well, he said to the student, the humans taste much better without the poop in them. Oh, God. Oh, God. What is this open mic here? What does that guy used to call up from Amityville, right? He would be huffing and puffing like he, he needed a pump for his asthma, and he'd be trying his lines, and they always bombed. Hey, go do some Simon Says out there in Nassau County, huh? Oh, that was the worst. Let's go to Tony in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. How you doing, Curtis? I saw you at the Travis Parade. Uh, I want to uh, bring up a, a situation. If, if you shut down the pollution plants in the summertime, we would start polluting the water again, and then the sharks wouldn't come come into the shore because the food, their food, the smaller fish wouldn't come in. Because of the pollution, so if you shut down these billion-dollar plants for a couple of months, maybe you could get the swimmers to swim again. The water might be a little bit dirty, but it keep the sharks away. Ah, so uh, to have fecal uh, matter in the water might be preferable than people being shark bait because the sharks come in so close to shore because they can feed off the bunker fish. That's it. Well, interesting, but there is a remedy. Where in New Jersey do you live, Tone? Uh, Hillsborough, 
in the Somerville. Oh, no, I know that well, but there is a remedy. You don't have the same number of problems uh, on the Jersey Shore because going up and down from my, Mount Pleasant down to Wildwood is Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie, now the killer orca whale who wants to rip out the larynx of uh, former President Donald Trump, but in the interim he will feed on sharks and, like an orca or whale, come upon them and rip their livers out. Did you know that, Tony? That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Shabu! El Jefe, Chris Christie. Sounds like a great idea. Any day you can see him. Patrolling up and down the Jersey Shore. He's protecting the windmills out there six miles offshore. The whales are being injured and dying on shore. The dolphins are being injured. They're dying on shore, Tony. But somehow, some way, Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie survives it all and has morphed himself in this political season to become a orca killer whale. He has eyes only for the SS Trump. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mike in uh, Rockaway. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. If, if we got problems in the ocean or we got problems on the street, I'm here with the sharks on 116th Street. And they're pushing their cups in, in, in my face. They want a nickel or a dime. I got bigger problems. I go to put my feet out in the water there in the Rockaways. And I got to worry about a great white coming screwing up on me. Totally understand. Not far away from Beach, 116th Street, which is now patrolled by the Guardian Angels. Yeah, the crime is getting bad out there. Right on the... Right on the lip of the Irish Riviera, not far from where Lou Ruffino, a port operator of Sid Rosenberg and Friends, and the one fiend who is uh, with him every Monday through Friday at 7.05. Sid Rosenberg has his palazzia out there, Lou Ruffino. Many of you, and you can't even put your feet out there in the ocean. Why? They're dredging, right? They're dredging. What are they dredging for, huh? When are they going to fix the beach? What do they do? Beach nourishment. All the sand goes out into the belly of the ocean floor, and then we send these dredgers out there at millions of dollars worth of expense to suck up all the sand. And then nourish the beach. How stupid is that, right? Millions and millions of dollars. And who looks at that and says, what a bunch of stunads? The sharks. Because they've been there since prehistoric times. Telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one remedy. You see that on the Jersey Shore. Ready for political battle, first in Iowa and then in New Hampshire. And the first Fox News presidential debate in the Republican primary in August in Milwaukee. Chapel. LFA Chris Christie. Look at his shops. Orca, the killer whale. You see how they fish in packs all along the shore, the orca whales, and then they find their prey and they just. <laughs> <laughs> 
rip their livers out, and then swim off for another day. You hear Chris Christie in the distance there? Yeah. Beware. Shamu. LFA. Chris Christie making a return to the big stage. Remember when we last saw him in New Hampshire on that stage in Manchester? He eviscerated little Marco Rubio. He's never been the same since. And then as a reward, he went off to nearby Boston Garden and did the Jiggle Wiggle as his his E Street Band, Springsteen, Schmata Boy, Stevie Van Zandt were performing, ignoring him as they always do. And he was like, oh my God, he was in seventh heaven. He dropped out after that. But he looked at his uh, mentor, Donald Trump, and Trump said, did a good job. I'll give you a few uh, quarter pounders with cheese for that. You took out that little Marco Rubio. He'll never be the same. He's never been the same. Chamo El Jefe. Chris Christie, ready to get down to it again. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jay in Far Rockaway. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. Hi, Mr. Curtis. It's Jay from Far Rockaway. Uh, the show was uh, Sea Hunt with Lloyd Bridges. You couldn't be more hopelessly right. That was a great show. I love the music. Not only that, you know who made appearances on that show. When I was a kid, I would watch it every week. Leonard Nimoy, Bruce Stern, Robert Conrad, Larry Hagman, Jack Nicholson, and Bridges' own sons, Bo and Jeff. Wow, that's amazing. Great, great show, uh, Mr. Curtis. And remember, remember, let us educate, Jay, our fellow um, alumni member here. It's been in the business uh, as long as I, Broadway Billy, who did not know the name of the boat that Lloyd Bridges operated off of called the Argonaut after the mythological Greek heroes who sailed with Jason on the quest of the Golden Fleece. And now, as Paul Harvey would say, you know the rest of the story. Another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Moby Dick song by who? Led Zeppelin, right? Stay away to heaven. Oh, man. Let's go to the phones. It's Eleanor talking to us from Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eleanor. 
It's not Elena, it's Helena. Okay. So, Curtis? Yes, Helena. You know, I do appreciate when you go into uh, stories about things, but sometimes they're extremely boring like you did tonight for about 10 minutes. It was so boring. Shame on you. You're better than that. And anyway, Yakshamash. Yakshamash. A fellow pole turning on another pole, you see. You see what this thing of ours does, the most intimate form of broadcasting ever created. Whether you believe it was by Marconi or Tesla, the Serbian, it matters not. <laughs> it is called... What are you talking about? Stop it. Stop it. But it's true. All you're right. You're a Polonia, right? Am I right or wrong? You're Polish. No, I'm not Polish. Well, wait a second. Well, why do you say Yakshimash to me for that? I'm Eastern European. I'm not going to say which, what, what I am exactly. Well, wait a second. Uh, what, what, what do you think? I'm a member of the CIA. I'm going to track you down. You're not living there anymore. It doesn't matter. Anyway, let's change. I really want to know what happened to Hercules. Hercules, you mean uh, our patron? Your little cat that you saved. Yes, Hercules was a Siamese cat who should not have been outdoors, but probably was either left outdoors or escaped wherever he was living. He was savagely brutalized by a pack of uh, tom uh, tomcats, no doubt. And oh. uh, Nancy uh, rescued uh, rescued Hercules, uh, tended to his wounds wanted to return him to a cat colony in Sunset Park that she was managing and I insisted on her no you can't you can't put Hercules back there he'll he'll get killed he wasn't made to be living outdoors as a feral cat and so he became the first cat that lived indoors with us in the upper west side and then uh, Nancy began the process of rescuing cats from the shelter that was scheduled to be executed destroyed, euthanized, and she would repair them medically, get them their shots, socialize them, and adopt them out. And we continued the cycle. But it all started with our patron saint cat, Hercules. See that? Isn't that wonderful? All right. So, uh, obviously, Hercules was not a feral cat if he was a Siamese he was definitely belonged to somebody that bought him. They're expensive cats. And I love you and your wife for what you do. But so eventually what happened with Hercules in your in your home? He's now in critter heaven. He's now he's followed the uh, the rainbow. He's gone over the rainbow to critter heaven where so many Critters have been Helena Yakshimash, even though you're not Polish. What the hell is she saying? Doesn't make sense. See, that was a form of constructive criticism from a fellow Polak. Yakshimash from Helena. 
Let's go to Larry in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Curtis, um, I'm going to change direction completely right now. Um, your show, your show opened up tonight with a song by Neil Diamond. Okay, um, people tout Neil Diamond. I not only dislike Neil Diamond. I hate Neil Diamond, and it's personal. Curtis? Now, now, tell me what is personal about it. I hate Neil Diamond, too, because his uh, the theme song for the Boston Red Sox is a Neil Diamond song. Forget that. Forget that. That's all, that's all garbage. I grew up in Massapequa, North Massapequa, and about five doors down from me, was a woman, her name was Jay, the most beautiful young lady on the planet. Now, I learned later on that at that point, Neil Diamond was an up-and-coming star. I mean, he was well-known, and he was living in South Massapequa, probably around where Seinfeld and the Baldwins, and even now Brian Kilmeade lived, Bar Harbor area. Anyway... He would, he, somehow they hooked up, and he would come up and down the block in his convertible, okay? And, like, he was a big deal at that point. Guy from Brooklyn, he was, he was not as big as he was going to be, but at that point, and he was, like, just, he wanted nothing to do with us. Nothing. Nasty, nasty, nasty. Well, that's what you get for being in matzah pizza. Eh, Brooklyn guys, they always look down on matzah pizza, right? Because that's eventually where their parents would flee to. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Oh, say, can you see by the blood in the street that this place doesn't
This was sung last weekend down in New Orleans in the Superdome. Essence Magazine every year has a large gathering of prominent African-Americans. In fact, I think uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, was there for a political conference of influential African-American politicos. They have like a whole series of events, and it's capped off by all of the participants coming into the Superdome which seats about 55,000, 60,000 people. And singing her rewritten form of the Star-Spangled Banner at this Essence Magazine Festival at Caesars Superdome in New Orleans was uh, the R&B singer and actress uh, Jill Scott. But it wasn't the Star Spangled Banner the way we typically hear it. We were told that she had written this completely different anthem many, many years ago as a teenager living in North Philly. She called it a biting critique of racial inequality in America. And after more than 30 years of sitting on it like a hen uh, sitting on an egg waiting to hatch it, performed her rewrite while touring this year and then decided that on day two of this uh, essence gathering in the uh, Superdome in Orleans that she would perform it. And she got a standing ovation. A standing ovation. And I say to myself, what, 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 what the hell is this? What the hell is this? I mean, let me read to you the lines. We'll discuss it in length. Obviously, she's free. This is America. You could say whatever you want. You could sing whatever you want. But the uh, board of directors of uh, Essence magazine said uh, that from now on, that will be the national anthem that they play. And recognize from this day forward. And you say to yourself, what the hell are you talking about? Once again, I'll uh, read the words verbatim that she sang uh, to a packed house in New Orleans uh, that then got a standing ovation. To me, it's to disgraziata, Shanda. Oh, say, can you see by the blood in the streets, this place doesn't smile on you, colored child whose blood built this land with sweat and their hands, but will die in this place and your memory erased. Say, does this truth hold any weight? This is not the land of the free, but it's the home of the slaves. Boy, I'm telling you this much. It sure ain't the... um, Whitney Houston National Anthem, that's for sure. We'll play that later on. But it just goes to show you that there are folks out there bitter, angry, and hell-bent on dividing us. Want to take the flag away from us that unites us all, no matter what differences we may have with one another. Want to take the National Anthem away. Everybody's always looking to do their own anthem, their own National Anthem. You know, it's sort of like, really? 
The national anthem brings us all together. The flag brings us all together. As soon as uh, you no longer see the flag, uh, you no longer hear the song. You're back at uh, tearing each other apart and bisecting and dissecting one another and becoming tribal, which is what a lot of other countries are. Look at Afghanistan, the country we fled from. They're all tribal. They don't even have a country. It's all about tribes. We happen to be one of those unique places on the globe in which you can put aside your differences, which is very tribal. Look, politically, we're tribal, Republicans and Democrats. God forbid a Democrat talk to a Republican or a Republican speak to a Democrat. To me, it's specious. It's ridiculous. But it's gotten to that level. It's so tribal. We'll get into it more. Let's go to the calls, though, and to many different folks commenting on many different subjects. It's very eclectic. I like that. Let's first go to uh, William calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, William. Yes, uh, Mr. Curtis, I want to say is that they want to turn capitalism into communism. And about the shock, you know, she she did a move like Sinead O'Connor. That's the whole point, you know. And then when all the residuals and the sponsors drop, that's what happens with a person's career. You have to appreciate the land you sit on and where you're going. Now, with the people with the baby, the babies, they got bit by a shark. Why all of a sudden the baby sharks, a baby shark hit? bit the babies. It was because babies and animals and people in the sea, the animals could foresee and read um, what's going to happen ahead of time before a Ouija board or a pack of tarot cards. That's why animals and, and, and horses go crazy before. Can you kiss a tornado or make love to a hurricane? And this is not a comedy joke, even though I'm a comedian. Mm, but, but, but let me make mention to that. That's an interesting, fascinating comparison. Like dogs and cats going crazy when they hear fireworks. Which you're going to hear in the funniest hour of all of radio coming up as our own Avery has dissected and bisected and put himself through the meat grinder of having to listen to 20 hours of broadcasting by that Mama Luke Frank Morano in his nationally syndicated show, The Other Side of Midnight, where Frank has said he's given up fireworks, even sparklers and caps. It's time to make the donut. I highly doubt that. I think he just said that for public consumption. You know, he is uh, a politician, even though he's never run for office, but he says all the political right things, right? He used to be a contrarian. He used to be a curmudgeon. Now he's a curmudgeon, not a contrarian, and he might as well be a full-blown politician. It's time to make the donut. Let's go to Carl calling from northern New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carl. Hello, how are you? I'm sorry about Hercules. Oh, no, look, uh, we've lost a few cats along the way, but uh, they're all in critter heaven. I was curious if you heard about this story that's, uh, you know, The Sound of Freedom, it's a brilliant movie, but AMC is shutting down air conditioning units and they're, they're refunding tickets. I'm curious, uh, how are they going to have that happen? Now is that is that just for the showing of this one movie, or are they just uh, basically? Yes. yes, isn't that scary? I mean, they're having they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Well, 
It's AMC, the big corpse. I mean, they're, they're shutting down the one movie that's supposed to help. Oh, boy. Well, look, you know? look, look I, 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 you shouldn't hit the panic button. Uh, movie theaters are passe compose. They've never recovered since the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020. Occasionally, there are movies that pack the house, but... Uh, there are a lot of things that affect an AMC movie theater as a triplex. I got to tell you, especially Carl, when uh, there's a movie playing and it attracts thugs and thugettes, and they tear up those movie theaters, and then they create chaos in the malls and the surrounding areas. Tear it up. I don't know the specificity of what you're talking about, Carl. I certainly will do a deep dive on that. But when it comes to movie houses nowadays, especially these triplexes, I give them the benefit of the doubt because they were crushed as a result of the lockdown and pandemic. Occasionally, a movie hits that attracts a large crowd. But most people have basically given up going to movie theaters. Now, they have priced themselves out of existence. It's like going to a baseball game. you got to take a reverse mortgage. Uh, all you get is... Uh, Let's say you get a little uh, container, you know, with your uh, buttered popcorn and your juju beats and your good and plenty, plenty good, and it's like $100 right there. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy, the prices. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to John in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Curtis, good to talk to you after a while, but unfortunately I have to... Talk about our friend Frank. I have a lot of misgivings about him hosting uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tomorrow. Uh, first of all, in my opinion, Kennedy should be recognized as a dangerous science denialist because he has been advocating against vaccines for almost two decades now. Thousands of people have listened to his lies. And they're paid with it by dying or watching their family members and friends die because because of his lies. One notable example is a few years ago in Samoa, uh, he was asked by local Samoans who were against vaccines to speak to the uh, population there. And he wrote a series of articles. Uh, when they had the next viral outbreak, 5,000 people were seriously ill. And 83 people died, and and this could have been prevented had the people been uh, vaccinated. No, these are excellent points, John. Uh, I don't know why all of a sudden Frank Morano is all gaga goo goo over RFK Jr. I would never vote for a Kennedy again in my life. Never, ever, ever after the age of Camelot and how we all got bamboozled. Uh, but boy, if Frank is, oh, you got to promote, I'm going to be talking to RFK Jr., RFK Jr. Who cares? Who cares? I mean, RFK Jr. is hard to hear to begin with because he's got some kind of a voice issue. Uh, I've disagreed with him often uh, over the years. Just the name Kennedy repels me. It really repels me, John, because he's trying to pimp off the name. Uh, and here's Frank, uh, like in a form of idolatry, you know, uh, we're going to be, when you listen from four to five, you're going to hear some of this because Avery has included this in his uh, critique of Frank Morano, the idolatry he's been involved with. It's like with, um, 
Tulsi Gabbard, right? By the way, Avery, has Tulsi Gabbard yet come on with Frank Morano as he stalks her from coast to coast all the way out to Oahu uh, and uh, Kauai uh, in Hawaii? Has she come on yet? Is Avery takes a, a bit, it's like, uh, you know, it takes a, a while to get old. Of course not. And, and he's doing the same thing with RFK Jr. now, right? He's like, oh, like, oh my God, you got to promote this, promote, as if this is the greatest interview, as if he were interviewing Jesus Christ, right? As if he told how his uncle died. Right. By the way, <laughs> how, many pe- how many people have interviewed uh, RFK Jr. a lot, right? Yep. You know, yep. not like he came out of a cave. Oh, God, he's uh, nonstop. The guy doesn't stop. Text. Oh, uh, you got to mention RFK Jr. on with me, 1 o'clock on, uh, you know, Monday morning. Curtis, let me say that Frank would do us all a favor if he devoted the interview to questioning Kennedy as to why he supports uh uh, vaccine safety, which is absolutely nonsense. Vaccines are safe. There are no links between vaccines and autism. And yet, I am certain he's going to allow Kennedy to repeat his BS and and let him repeat it unchallenged. Oh, there's no doubt. I would not doubt because I have seen Frank when he gets involved in idolatry. Look at perfect example, William Shatner. Oh, I know. Never ask him a negative question. It's sort of like he might as well be drinking the uh, uh, Jim Jones Kool-Aid when he interviews uh, JFK Jr. And here's another thing. They both agree about Ukraine and about how our military industrial complex is prostituting itself to help Ukraine. Meaning, in other words, they would rather see Putin win. And and beat the Ukrainians. Yeah, because Putin would probably welcome uh, Frank Morano and RFK Jr. into Red Square for his annual May Day parade. Frank would love being there. Now, he does sound Putin-esque at times. But I will tell you this. RFK Jr., uh, who was it that came up to me in the Support the Israel Day parade? Uh the uh, author of Kosher Sex. So I'm not going to say his name. Who was the author of Kosher Sex? I believe he has a compound in Teaneck, New Jersey now, where Muammar Gaddafi one time had a compound when he would visit uh, the United Nations uh, for the annual march of dictators, um, tyrants, and totalitarian uh, animals. And he would have his um, concubines there, all 50 of them that he claimed. keep going. Who claimed that he was, uh, he claimed that, that they were his security, his protection. Meantime, they were his concubines. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight now. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa.
What happened? Oh, man. Come on. Come on, Broadway Billy. Turn in uh, your WCBS FM card. How could they have truncated the best uh, performance of our national anthem that I ever heard in my life all 69 years? Whitney Houston. I think that was in Pasadena years ago for a Super Bowl. It was amazing. And I played that in contradiction to uh, this uh, new version that was performed just last Sunday in the Superdome in New Orleans before a overflow crowd of about 55,000, 60,000 for the Essence Annual uh, Black uh, Gathering Conference in which the, uh, the singer Jill Scott slammed uh, the various lyrics of our national anthem changed them to um, claiming that the U.S. is home of the slaves. What a difference. By the way, why the hell did Whitney Houston end up with Bobby Brown, that degenerate? I, I To this day, I cannot for the life of me understand that. That was the best performance of the national anthem I ever heard. And shame, shame on WABC, whoever it is. They truncated that edition. Bill Lee, uh, we got to find out who did that. Please report that to Chris Libertini in charge of imaging. That, that, that must be corrected. That is such a disgrace that we would truncate what was the greatest rendition in my entire life of the national anthem. And I've heard some really good ones. Obviously, you know I love Kate Smith, God Bless America. Shame on the Yankees, Randy Levine, for removing that during the seventh-inning stretch for the worst of reasons. Or America the Beautiful that I heard Tony Bennett sing instead of the national anthem uh, after the Yankees came through the Canyon of Heroes in uh, 96 after beating the Atlanta Braves, coming back two down to win the World Series. And I thought he didn't want to sing the national anthem, and boy, he really chastised me afterwards when I broadcast that said, Hey, Schmuck Putz, uh, Schmendrick, you pitcher, don't you realize uh, there are a lot of high notes in the national uh, anthem, and uh, it was easier for me to do America the Beautiful. What, do you expect me to say that? Oh, probably the most embarrassing moment in my life. But, boy, that was a great rendition, an absolutely tremendous rendition. Let's go to Michael in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yeah, uh, the fact that that moron sang the first one that sang the national anthem and and criticized america so badly that bothers me but what bothers me worse is listening to her lousy stinking voice who the hell ever said that she's a singer she her voice is terrible i mean i I practically got a headache after listening to it i mean the, the words are bad enough but that rotten lousy voice of hers they actually applauded her. They stood up, uh, gave her a standing ovation. Just on her voice alone, they should have thrown rotten tomatoes at her to shut her up or tape her mouth. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. The lousiest voice I've ever heard. Now, be interesting, uh, Michael. I know the mayor was scheduled to be down there for a conference. You know, they're a huge gathering of uh, prominent uh, African-Americans who come in from all over the country once a year. 
to the Superdome, but they also have uh, affiliated uh, meetings in some of the nearby hotels in Bourbon and Canal. I'm going to do a deep dive. If the mayor, Eric Adams, was there and was part of the crowd that was standing and applauding that nonsense, uh, he's got a lot of apologizing to do. Could I hear that uh, one more time there, Broadway, Bill Lee, Jill Scott, who claimed changed all the lyrics of our national anthem to to basically uh, sing uh, that this is not the land of the free, but it's the home of the slaves. Could you please play her rendition? Oh, say, can you see by the blood in the stream that this place doesn't Fifty-five thousand people up on their feet applauding that, Michael. It's disgusting. It's nauseating. They really have to tape her, or better yet, don't tape her mouth. Use gorilla glue to shut it, and then put tape over her mouth because her voice is really horrible. Now, it, it, let me ask you a question. I'm not trying to bring race into this, but if this is what black people think of her singing the national anthem that way, then they really hate America that badly, if that's what they want, because they're basically getting what they want as far as the city turning into a segregated one. So this proves that what? They want a segregated city? They want a city where there's no white people at all, only a totally black city, like a lot of other cities? Is this is what they're saying they want? Because if this is what they want, it's happening. I think it's no good. But if, if they want this, so be it. Well, I will tell you the sponsoring uh, group Essence Fest posted a clip of Scott's performance that you just listened to to Twitter with the caption, Everyone, please rise for the only national anthem we will be recognizing from this day forward. Now, later on, I'm going to play uh, every... Lift every voice and sing. 
which has been called the uh, Black National Anthem. Although I'll tell you a pretty funny story about uh, the annual dinner that I used to attend that uh, Roy Innes would host for the Congress of Racial Equality uh, to honor the life and times of Martin Luther King Jr., the largest in the nation, uh, annually at the Sheridan Hotel. And in fact... um, they would have the national anthem sung first by usually a male or female singer. And then afterwards, they would have the black national anthem sung, lift every voice and sing. But they would have to give uh, flyers out with the words on it because nobody seemed to know the words. This uh, lift every voice and sing has been out since like 1900, I believe designated as the Black National Anthem. I don't know. There should be one anthem, one anthem alone. It's what unites us. And then you can have all separate degrees of uh, songs that you feel are pertinent to your race, your ethnic group, your nationality, your country of origin. There's nothing wrong with the National Anthem, especially when you hear somebody as uh, beautifully done by Whitney Houston, the best of all time, without a doubt. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Leah in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Leah. Hi, Greg. Uh, Curtis, the story's an honor to speak to you. Uh, the rabbi is Shmuley Botech. Absolutely. You couldn't be more and hopelessly and, right. Incidentally, incidentally, I've had words with him he formerly had an organization called the One World Foundation. I don't know if you were acquainted with it. This oh, goes back I, I remember, in fact, uh, see if you, yes. if you and remember. I, I found out some things about that, and I called, and I didn't speak to him, but I gave him holy hell. And a few weeks later, after I spoke to them, he was a guest at my synagogue. I belong to a synagogue on the west side. And um, I went over and I introduced myself, and he made a very nasty remark to me. Mm. Mm. Well, I will tell you this, uh, Shmuley Botek. I first uh, heard about him uh, because apparently he had gone to the same university in England as Cory Booker. Uh, I think they were Rhodes Scholars. I'm not totally sure. I think Cory Booker was. Cory Book had gone to Stanford University, was a uh, NCAA uh, star tight end there, I believe. Yeah, well, what do you mean, I believe? I know it to be true. And then I think he became a Rhodes Scholar. He met Shmuley Botek over there. They developed a friendship. And then when Cory Booker was the missing in action mayor of Newark, New Jersey, Shmuley Botek uh, was repping uh, the pedophile on a pedestal, Michael Jackson, and he said, you know, we should do a concert here. I forget in which hall. Maybe somebody out there remembers the hall where Shmuley Botek and Cory Booker promoted the pedophile on a pedestal, Michael Jackson. I was a double disgraziad. Cory Booker, who was at the time when he was mayor of Newark, almost never there was rated one of the top 100 New Yorkers because he was always in New York City being wine-dined and pocket-lined by those hedge fund monsters on Wall Street. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
Let's go to Hunter, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Hunter. Hey, Curtis. Good morning. Yes, Hunter. Uh, I think that as uh, as um, New Yorkers, we should have a huge protest and get all of those Ben & Jerry ice creams out of our shops ASAP. Ben & Jerry's ice cream is the most despicable company in, in um, America right now. Now, why do you say they're a despicable country? They've been this way since they first started in Vermont. They've always been political. Well, because they were preaching anti-American propaganda. Right. And they have have a product, and if people are upset with that, then don't buy their product. Uh, But they don't seem to have a problem in pissing people off and still making money. They're not making any money. They're going to be uh, just like Bud Light. Well, just, no, I don't. I don't think. You see, you see, this is the difference, Hunter. I don't think you could Bud Light them because their fan base leans left wing to begin with. Uh, progressives love Ben and Jerry, even if maybe it's not their favorite ice cream. Maybe Hagen Dazs is. Uh, I'm going to delve into the whole thing, like Carvel having a log uh, cake in your freezer. Uh, like Frank Morano is going to talk later on when Avery uh, introduces the funniest hour in all of radio, uh, how uh, Frank Morano loves ice cream cake. He has no idea what the hell he's talking about. But I will tell you this. Uh, when you look at Ben & Jerry's, a company that was started with a political ideological base, uh, they have said many things to piss off their potential customer base. They have taken a licking and they're still ticking because, you see, Bud Light was considered an all-American country, uh, excuse me, company, a uh, a uh, company based in the heartland of America, right? Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri, the heartland. When they all of a sudden decided to uh, get involved in having a transgender, become their influencer. That rocked their core. When people who eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream see that the former um, founders, who are now not even running the company, they happen to be uh, members of the board of directors, and they have the right to say whatever they want based on the contract they had with the British company that bought up all their stock. Uh, they can operate independent and auton- autonomously. If they want to hurt themselves and have less sales and promote this ideology, that's their right to do it. There's no doubt some people will decide not to eat Ben and Jerry's, but because they lean so left to begin with, others may actually end up buying it. They're in a totally different position than uh, Bud Light is because they operate independent and uh, autonomously, even though they're now part of a larger corporation based in England. They can have their ice cream cake and eat it too. They like that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gary in New Hampshire. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Gary. Oh, you are so highly interesting. At 60 years old, 
I, I don't know what to say, but uh, Curtis, I wanted to bring a couple things up. I heard you a couple hours ago talking about the nightsticks and and uh, Louisville sluggers and so forth. Uh, I have to do I have to ask you. You haven't seen the movie 1967, The Incident yet, have you? No, I have not. Once again, just repeat that. The name of the movie is what? The Incident, 1967, with Tony Masante and Martin Sheen, two young punks who uh, terrorize a subway train full of all kinds of people at midnight in New York. It was the first movie of urban terrorism. I must see that because, as you know, I've been promoting uh, the cult movie classic, The Warriors, from 1979, which gives you so... We have Martin Sheen. Uh, who else is uh, starring in this film? Oh, who, who co-supported the movie? Believe it or not, Ed McMahon of Johnny Carson was in the movie. Wow, Ed McMahon, who at one time was a barker on the boardwalk of Atlantic City, uh, something that Frank Morano aspires to be uh, when he loses his shirt shooting craps at the Borgata. So Martin Sheen, Ed McMahon, oh. and the name of the movie again? The Incident, 1967, in black and white. I will definitely at some point have my wife play that for me because uh, I'm of the type where unless a movie has really significant meaning to me in terms of all that I'm doing or having an impact or who are the people that I'm trying to influence, it's not anything that I'm probably going to look at. But I've heard this now for the second time, Gary. And I appreciate you bringing this to my attention. Uh, and I will make sure that I see it. Coming up, lift every voice and sing the Black National Anthem. We're at the annual core dinner in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. that I would re- I would attend religiously when Roy Innes was alive with his son, Nigel. The largest uh, dinner honoring the life and times of Martin Luther King Jr. every year at the Sheraton. This would be sung along with the national anthem, national anthem first, then the lift every voice and sing. And people didn't know the words, so they had to give it out uh, on pieces of paper. (laughs) Black and white. We'll listen to this song. And see if it makes any sense to have this at all, or really any other anthems, when you have the national anthem that covers us all. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. That's right, Avery. I want you to be practicing this song for your choral group in a few hours when you go to the pastor in your black uh, Pentecostal church. You 
Will they ever be singing this uh, during any of your services? The uh, what is called the Black National Anthem, lift every voice and sing. Uh, will they be doing that, Avery? You don't come across this song too much. I know. I noticed that it. The Congress of Racial Equality's annual dinner for Martin Luther King Jr. A lot of black folks uh, needed uh, in on a piece of paper to know the words. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're going to be glued to that paper, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a hell of a lot better, though, than that Jill Scott who was slamming the U.S., calling it the home of the slaves, not the land of the free. But still, I don't understand it. We got a great national anthem. Just play the Whitney Houston uh, um, performance, greatest of all time. It covers all bases. Boy, I noticed we didn't truncate this song, did we, uh, Broadway Bill Lee? Uh, No, not politically correct. He played all five verses. Yeah. (laughs) My God. Enough of this, Broadway Bill Lee, enough. We got one national anthem. That's all we need. Nobody knows the words to that. You know, it's like Juneteenth, right, all of a sudden. Juneteenth, a national holiday. Juneteenth, I saw in Milwaukee uh, when it wasn't a national holiday. I saw it in St. Louis. I saw it in Houston and Dallas with the Guardian Angels where they celebrated Juneteenth. But you go up to an average person in uh, the Northeast sector and you say, Juneteenth, uh, what's that? It's now national holiday. That's all they care about. Oh, do I get paid? Yeah, it's a national holiday. You're off. You think they're watching any programs about Juneteenth? Of course not. They're out there having a good time, Juneteenth. By the way, isn't that the uh, birthday of our own Dominic Carter? Am I correct on that, Juneteenth, right? think so. I think it's June 19th. Anyway, uh, double-check that, Dominic Carter. By the way, did a great job substituting for James Golden Saturday morning after... We began our marathon all weekend long, where it's WABC always broadcasting, Curtis. He came right out of the box, uh, 9 o'clock in the morning Saturday. He was talking about the shoplifting situation at CVS in Times Square, Broadway and 49th. And then he was talking about Ben and Jerry's. Great stuff. Man, he's coming into his own, I'm telling you. He's he's reminding me a lot. He's almost become like the... uh, the black version of uh, Roberto Gigante, better known as my mentor, Bob Grant. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Richard, who's calling from Texas. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rich. Good morning, Curtis. Yes, Rich. Which part, of, which part of Texas are you calling us from? Midland, Texas, Permian Basin, where all the oil and gas, a rig in the Permian Basin refers to oil. A rig in a blue state or city refers to an election. Big difference. Now, Richard, real quick before you make your point, uh, are you near Odessa, Texas? Yes, Odessa, all where 45, 50% of oil and gas come from to keep the lights on, the energy coming, and to keep the capitalists economy going, not the Marxist economy that people in blue cities and states are looking for. Now, Richard, uh, do they do a lot of fracking there? There's fracking. There's everything. The air is terrific here, much better than New York and many of these big cities. And the myths you hear about is exactly that. 
It's but, a bunch of myths. But right now, it's hotter than hell there, right? Right. And we've had a, a heat, but it's a dry heat. It's a low humidity, so it's not the worst, but it's not the best. You don't go sweating as much when you uh, uh, run or uh, exercise, but uh, you do feel the sun beating down. We're in a little bit of a heat. It cooled off a little next week. It's supposed to be uh, back to being over 100 degrees. Yeah, they're having that same issue, you know, uh, in Phoenix, which is the fastest-growing metropolitan area in the country now. They're, they're in like a valley. I remember visiting the Guardian Angels there, and it was like 120 degrees in the shade. You're right. It's dry heat. But my red sateen jacket was hermetically sealed to my skin. I could not extricate it off my body. It was that hot. If we had subways here, you wouldn't want to patrol. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> That's for but, sure. You know, but I'm going to get on to something serious. I just want to uh, add a few little things here because I'm, uh, I'm into nostalgia and everything else. Sure. The Incident is a terrific movie. It came out because of crime in the subways in the 60s in New York. And uh, Jack Guilford used to do the Cracker Jack uh, commercials. He's in it. And Bo Bridges. Uh, has a big role in it. That was one of his breakout roles. So it is a terrific movie. I loved it when I saw it as a kid. And it's a special movie. You don't see it a lot. And then uh, another movie I can recommend is a really special movie. It's an adventure movie in the jungle. It's with an actor called Cornell Wilde, and it's called The Naked Prey. And it's a wonderful movie about this uh, cannibals going after this man, and he winds up being dressed as Tarzan. Very little dialogue, terrific movie. Those are two gems that uh, I would recommend the other one. And the last thing is Gaddafi stayed in a tent because he didn't want to stay in a hotel with his concubine, and that's where he did. He pitched the tent when he would come to the U.N., by the way. Yeah, would say, uh, he would day. stay right in Teaneck. He had a compound there. The Libyan mission had a compound there right near yeah. uh, uh, Rabbi Shmuley Botek, who is best known for his book, uh, Kosher Sex. But his best friend in the whole world, uh, Muammar Gaddafi, was Berlusconi, who just recently died, the former prime minister in Italy. Uh, he had his mansion, as you know, bunga, bunga, bunga was his thing, uh, having sex with underage girls. And so Gaddafi would visit, he'd put the tents up, there'd be the concubines, and they'd be sharing Gaddafi's concubines, who supposedly were his uh, security force, all women, all uh, wearing military garb and uniforms and all slinging AK-47s. Yes, and Berlusconi uh, was obviously a very wealthy man, and uh, he was quite a character, and he did pass away a few weeks ago. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, I want to talk about, uh, you know, on a serious note, obviously. Uh, Curtis, I think if you were mayor of New York, you would clean up the city like Giuliani did, and you'd go down in history as one of the great mayors of the city of New York. And I really mean that. And what's really sad about all this, I just don't see it happening, because there's this movement going on, and it's getting bigger, more powerful, more virulent, and it's moving away from capitalism, it's moving away from freedom, it's hating this country for what it stands for, which you and I love what it did stand for and does stand for. And uh, I don't say don't run again. You should, probably. But I just don't see it. Because if Giuliani was the Giuliani of the 80s and uh, running again, he'd lose. And uh, they're all tied to the big unions in these cities. And it's getting worse and worse. They hate everything about America. They hate everything about capitalism. 
and I applaud you for wanting to do it. But I just, unfortunately, and I would give money if you do run again. I'm serious about this. I would give you money to run because I want you to win. I love New York. I love the cities that were run by Democrats, but unfortunately, they're being run by Marxist Democrats, and it's getting worse and worse in these great American democratic cities that you and I grew up in, and it's sad. Well, you're, you're uh, correct, but to let you know the template that I've laid out, uh, because the only way you can overcome this isn't necessarily alone at the ballot box. You have to encourage the vast number of voters who are moderate Democrats to take their party back from the socialists because they are socialists. They're not Democrats. They call themselves DSA. But if you were to ask them, Richard, like AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if you could only choose one label, what would it be, Democrat or socialist? Oh, nine out of ten of them would say socialist. Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, who is their sort of their venerated figure, He's not even a registered Democrat. He's, uh, quote, an independent, but uh, in his heart of hearts, he's a socialist. So I've opened up these Ronald Reagan Republican clubs, first in Astoria, which is where AOC uh, is at her strongest with her mini-me's, then in Throg's Neck in the Bronx, the North Shore, Staten Island, soon Patterson, New Jersey, and then Park Slope uh, in Brooklyn, which is another strong area of socialists. And, Richard, you've got to take the battle into their neighborhoods. You've got to get the uh, moderate Democrats to take their party back. They're not going to convert to being Republicans. And in all of my meetings that I host, the mass majority of people who attend are moderate Democrats. And I tell them straight out, I don't want you to be Republicans. You're not Republicans. I want to help you fight for the soul of your party so you can have the Democratic Party back. And if they want to be socialists, that's fine. But you have to help them take their party back so that then you can have two different parties with independent parties and you can battle for the voters, uh, the uh, the vote of the voters, but not by socialists co-opting the Democrats and then trying to destroy everything that we hold sacrosanct, our democracy, our freedom, our capitalism. Make the arguments as socialists, but don't co-opt the Democrats. And that's why I have more moderate Democrats attending these meetings than Republicans themselves, because they don't want to be converted. They just want to be Democrats and have their party back again. Well, that's the way to do it. And obviously, you have to be moderate to uh, if you're a Republican to uh, win an election like Giuliani was. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good at uh, predicting the past and I don't say I'm uh, great at predicting the future. But I'm, uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm more uh, pessimistic. I see, you know, great Chicago, Portland, San Francisco, uh, the great city, the greatest city in uh, America, New York. And it's going down faster than I could have ever well, predicted. Well, I, I can assure life. you, Richard, I'm not moving to Florida. I'm not leaving New York. I'm going to improve it and not uh, move from it. And I will fight for what I know is Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. 
You know, here at WABC, as part of our uh, team, there are two guys who clearly, without doubt, are aficionados when it comes to all kinds of trivia involving the Godfather movie sequels. Of course, there's uh, Michael Mbadicic, Rudy Giuliani, who uh, not only put so many mobsters choking on their lobsters in jail, uh, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District uh, put away more members of organized crime than anyone else in the entire history of the Department of Justice, I think all combined. And remember, if you look at the neck Netflix uh, series, Fear City, uh, where I'm in the first episode, and then Rudy and his uh, crew that wired up uh, cars and restaurants and houses of mobsters choking on their lobsters of the Genovese, Gambinos, Lucchese's, Columbo's, and Bonanno crime family like Christmas trees that then led to the prosecution of all five heads that he had locked up. Uh, you will learn a hell of a lot. It's called Fear City. Great stuff. And then, of course, there's uh, Greg Kelly, who uh, is a trivia expert when it comes to the Godfather sequels. He really knows a hell of a lot. And one time matched wits with Rudy Giuliani, who uh, imitates uh, characters of the Godfather. And I had my cousin, uh, Joey G., the chief from Howard Beach, and my cousin Jeannie and their children. You would visit them in their home in old Howard Beach, and you would ring the doorbell, and it would be this theme of the Godfather that would play. And I'm sure you were very familiar with families like that when you'd be visiting their house or a place of business. You'd press the... Uh, the button and it would play the Godfather theme as uh, a way of uh, getting somebody to the front door. But I want to share with you some uh, Godfather trivia that maybe, just maybe, all of you have not been familiar with. Maybe you have. Uh, Godfather was a excellent done movie, but all propaganda. Uh, Goodfellas. It's much more the way that it was in reality. Not romanticized, not uh, goosed up, not prettied up uh, the way The Godfather did it. But Marlon Brando, who um, I felt had some of the greatest roles of all time. In fact, I'll never forget On the Waterfront. Uh, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. He won what I think the Academy Award for that in 54-55. Uh, it was just great. What was he? Tommy Malloy, you know, Longshoreman, took on the mob. Uh, just outstanding movie. And he obviously had a lot of other great roles, but he had hit a skid like a lot of actors and actresses do in which... Uh, they end up appearing in uh, bomb after bomb after bomb. Oh, what was that? Last Tango in Paris uh, when all of a sudden he was uh, toying around with a bar of Irish spring soap in uh, places you'd not want to necessarily put Irish spring soap unless it was on a rope. Did I... Uh, you're looking at me in a mystified manner there, Broadway Bill Lee, uh, Avery... Uh, 
Don't repeat that to your pastor in a few hours at your black evangelical uh, Pentecostal church. Please don't. Might cause you a lot of strain and pain in the eyes of God. But I was uh, trying to connect all the dots for you. Anyway, uh, Brando had had a series of movies that, well, be kind to him, were bombs. And so all of a sudden, he was up for the role of Vito Corleone in The Godfather. And uh, the people who were putting up the money for The Godfather did not want Marlon Brando for Vito Corleone. But the director, Francis Ford Coppola, did. He thought that Brando was perfect for the film. But the reason, his rationale from what I remember was that this was not going to be your stereo stereotypical mob movie filled with psychotic gangsters, which is true, and blood running in the streets, which was true. But uh, Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola, had a very difficult time trying to convince others that Brando was right for this role. Brando so wanted to do this that he even agreed to an audition to win over the Leary executives of Paramount. I think if you look at the cast of characters who made their bones in this movie, he was the only really movie star amongst the group of actors that the producer Al Ruddy had signed for the pivotal roles in The Godfather including my enemy of all enemies. We'll get to that momentarily. James Kahn recently passed away. Robert Duvall, last tango in Buenos Aires. Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, Johnny Cazal, and Abe Vigoda. You don't remember Fish, Abe Vigoda. And uh, Brando was well known for his meticulous preparation. His idea of Vito Corleone was that he would be powerful but soft-spoken, cerebral but strong. A family man who saw himself as a victim of happenstance, who could have been a corporate leader instead of a mob boss and didn't want that for his son, Michael. But Brando needed inspiration and insight, so when he asked others tied to the production for an introduction to someone who could help him portray the godfather they all pointed out and they said there's one guy one guy only russell buffalino was actually originally from sicilia sicily and then made his bones in buffalo and then ended up running organized crime from uh, i guess you could call it northeast pennsylvania so all roads led to Russell Buffalino. And Russell had made his presence felt behind the scenes, playing a key role in ending months and months of conflict that delayed the production and threatened to derail the film altogether. Remember, the film, The Godfather, was based on the 1968 book by Mario Puzo, a bestseller that sold nearly 10 million copies, and Paramount had acquired the film rights. And as they were filming or planning the film in New York, 
The production ran into one problem after another, mostly from a newly formed advocacy group, one I was very familiar with, the Italian-American Civil Rights League. It was formed in April of 1970 by Joe Colombo, the head of the New York family that bore his name. One of his sons had been arrested for melting U.S. silver coins, but Joe Colombo claimed it was police harassment and formed the league with the stated goal of opposing discrimination against Italian-Americans. And it had a lot of supporters, including uh, one of uh, the guys who first came on to support the Guardian Angels when we were under duress in 79 in the Bronx. That was Mario Biagi, the most decorated uh, police officer in the history of the department, having had many, many shootouts with thugs and mobsters choking on their lobsters. So they had uh, Mario Biagi on board. They had a number of other prominent Italian-Americans on board. And the whole idea, concept, was that if you had a vowel at the end of your name, there was this stereotype where constantly the thought was that you must have had some involvement with organized crime. And so they became very powerful, very powerful. And by the way, Joe Colombo, who I met one time at a meeting, Uh, across the street from the Bamboo Lounge. Yeah, the Bamboo Lounge from Goodfellas was not in Howard Beach, was not in Ozone Park. It was in Canarsie. It was on Avenue N in Rockaway Parkway. They torched it there. Across the street, on the second floor, there was a meeting of the Italian-American Civil Rights League. I think it was about 1971. And I attended, and about half the meeting uh, was... uh, Italians and Jews, and Joe Colombo came. And you know who was taking names and signatures uh, uh, at the front desk? It was Paulie Barrio of the Lucchese crime family. Yeah, the same Paulie uh, that you saw prominently displayed in the Goodfellas. Remember, he was uh, away, where, where, where was he? Uh, Pennsylvania at Allenwood. And he was slicing, remember, slicing the onions for the sauce? He was taking the names, uh, the attendants. I knew right away, man, these are hardcore mobsters. Where you had to put the Italian-American Civil Rights logo on your window or they would bust your window. So these bulls would show up and they'd say, hey, you got to put the Italian-American Civil Rights uh, logo in your window. And they would say, but I don't want to. And they would tell you, well, you got to. Oh, we're going to have to bust your window. You know how how costly that's going to be to replace it. And so they all were putting Italian-American civil rights logos in their windows, including Jews who had just escaped Brownsville, never ran, never will, and ended up in Canarsie. And I remember the meeting. But a lot of people didn't realize that Joe Colombo was a very good spokesperson. He appeared with Bob Grant, the king of talk radio. He was on with Dick Cavett. Guy was not a D's and Dems kind of guy. And he cultivated quite a following. In fact, I remember as a kid, they had their first Italian-American civil rights uh, rally right there in Columbus Circle. Drew thousands, tens of thousands. Then they had a benefit, I remember, November of that year, Madison Square Garden, not the garden itself, but the Felt Forum. And they were selling mad tickets and raising a lot of money. 
And then the newspaper that uh, Frank Morano loves in Staten Island and previous to that, Brian Whitman, great talk show host, who actually used to call up Bob Grant while delivering the advance in the afternoon in Staten Island while doing his impressions. The Staten Island advance had a real set of Corleones back then because it was doing article after article about uh, the Italian-American Civil Rights League and really how it was a cover for the Colombo crime family and that they were involved in extortion and assaults. And the advance took it right on the chops. If I remember correctly, they had a, uh, a newspaper delivery truck that was torched by the Colombo crime family, two drivers beaten, one with a tire and iron, another hospitalized... And the Italian-American Civil Rights League was not at all happy with The Godfather, claiming that the book portrayed Italian-Americans in a very negative light. And then they started a film in Manhattan's Little Italy neighborhood, and the uh, Teamsters vowed to have nothing to do with the production, so they were at a standstill. Teamsters were telling everybody involved with the crew, hey, get the F out of here. We ain't going to have nothing to do with you. You guys are effing rats. So they start production for The Godfather in Little Italy. And immediately, lots and lots of trouble. The Colombo crime family had guys down there every day disrupting any kind of filming. And the guy leading them was Andy Mush Russo, best friends of... Uh, of the guy that I had uh, war words with that eventually led to a potential lawsuit against me, Jimmy Kahn. You remember? Oh, yeah, Jimmy Kahn. We'll get to that momentarily. And so the film's producers had to try to make peace with Joe Colombo and the Italian-American Civil Rights League. So they had a huge meeting at the Park Sheraton Hotel. By the way, who was shot in the barber chair at the Park Sheraton Hotel and who was responsible for blasting him into the hereafter? Remember, yeah, the cigar uh, that was protruding from his mouth while the towel was wrapped around his head while he was going to get a shave? Bang, 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 bang. Who am I talking about? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So the guy who brought Joe Colombo together with Al Ruddy, the producer for the godfather for Tar uh, Paramount was this guy, Russell Buffalino. He made the peace. He became the rabbi. And from then on out, no problems. Why is that? Because Ruddy, the producer, agreed on behalf of Paramount Pictures to donate $1 million to the Italian-American Civil Rights League. This is 1970-71. You know what a million dollars is worth now in terms of the value in 1970? So Paramount Pictures said, hey, Ruddy, we don't want you to be the producer anymore. You're making uh, deals with Joe Colombo, the Colombo crime family. You're giving them a million dollars. You're out of here. And then all of a sudden, Russell Buffalino said, if Ruddy's out of here, you're not going to be able to do this movie. So cooler heads prevailed, and Paramount Pictures agreed to bring Al Ruddy, the producer of The Godfather, back. And you pretty much know the rest of the story, right? 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to Sal calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Salvatore. All right, on the phone with the legend, uh, right, Curtis. I went through my uh, regular roast of uh, Frank Morano. I will talk about the Sharks real quick. First of all, let's talk about uh, the head of the Velveeta crime family, Frank Morano. <laughs> Greg Morano comes from the only crime family who wax people on a deli slicer. <laughs> Morano eats so you know, Curtis, you know why we got a rat problem in the city? You're always talking about the rodent problem. Sure. I'll tell you why. Morano ate all the cheese. <laughs> they they got nothing to bait those traps with anymore. That's the problem. <laughs> Morano's made of so much cheese if the cops grilled him it would be on a rye with a side of coleslaw. Oh, man, that is so good, Sal. Thank you, Curtis. So here's what I was thinking about this, uh, you know, this uh, shark problem we got, right? Uh, There seem to be a lot of uh, more bites than usual. Yeah, yeah. So you know how, Curtis, how, like, uh, when, you know, Jaws was famous for that and everything, they look at the bite of the, uh, you know, the bite pattern on maybe a person's leg or a surfboard, so you think we could do the same thing in Staten Island in one of those cheese platters in Trader Joe's when Morano comes in and wipes it out? <laughs> they go over there, they study the bite pattern, and they realize it was Morano. They'll catch him every time. But you know something, Curtis? This is actually interesting. And I, 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 it just made me think about it because we're talking about the sharks and everything. You notice there's not a lot of shark bites. And all kidding aside... Over in the Staten Island waters, isn't that kind of weird? Like you always hear it about like Long Island and everything. You think it's like uh, they don't like the waters because they're more polluted. You know, they're coming from Jersey with the Gothel Bridge and all the, uh, you know, and they, they like it farther out of Long Island. I don't know. It just had me thinking about that stuff. Oh no, you're right. I mean, look, it's chemically toxic there. The Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Cole that separates Perth Amboy from Tottenville. Oh yeah, man. Shark couldn't survive in those. Waters. Yeah, I, I think that has something to do with it because, uh, like in Brooklyn and like the East River, East River especially, right? The notorious East River that the world is like, got to be infamous. Everybody in the world might have heard about it back in the day. And Curtis, you know this, that was the place where everything got dumped guns, bodies, everything going to East River with the, with the cop divers, you know, to look for the, look for the body or a body floats up or everything. And, uh, they started, um, making the waters better, you know, through different uh, procedures, the environmental agencies, and uh, they started having sightings of, you know, whales and and seals come through, which they never did before. No doubt about it. In fact, uh, the water is so clear now, they've seen whales sailing, uh, actually, you know, floating up the uh, Hudson River, going about halfway up towards uh, where West Point is, near Poughkeepsie, near Beacon, Boy, that hadn't happened for a long time. But I will tell you this. Um, you know, Sal, when it comes to Staten Island there, they had that uh, Dolphin uh, Plaza there along uh, South Beach. They call it South Beach there. Used to be all needles, used to be pampers, tampons, everything flowing in the shore. And yet, 
people like Frank Morano and others used to love going there. They didn't want to go to Coney Island or Brighton Beach or Manhattan Beach. They didn't even want to go out to the Rockaways. They had their little Dolphin Plaza there. They went to South Beach. They had their little spread, their cheese spread. And they were happy with the needles, with the pampers, and with the tampons floating up onto the beach. Staten Island. Well, you know, my theory with that is I think they were so, Curtis, they were so lathered up with the uh, baby oil, the the copper tone. They didn't use no sunblock. They were so lathered up and juiced up on uh, who knows what sort of stuff from the gym. They felt they were immune from all those needles and everything. That's true. That's true. And I must tell you, Sal, uh, it's a tribute to, to you there in Brooklyn to know the difference between a true Brooklynite and those that have left and crossed the plank and gone to Staten Island and done the hop, skip, and the jump. Next stop, Jersey Shore. Next stop, Florida. I salute Sal there. And he's right about Frank. You know, he's the Velveeta kid. Cheese, cheese, more cheese. Let's go to Lisa, who's calling from California. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Lisa. Oh, hi, Curtis. Curtis, Lewa, we love you. And we love Nancy, and we, you're number one. You're top dog all the way. And you know what? You need a raise? The Castamatitis will give you a raise. You're, you're worthy. Well, Curtis. to be honest, I, I've, I, I've told them, just give me the talk time. Don't worry about the raise. Just give me whatever extra talk time there is, and I'm like a Pac-Man. I'll take it all. Oh, I love it. No, Curtis, really, the best rendition ever of the, uh, the of the national anthem was definitely by far Whitney Houston. And I know m- so many people that say the same thing. She had the best. It's the best ever. I'm sure you agree. I think you commented on that earlier. No, in fact, she did it out in your neck of the woods. I think she did it in Pasadena, halftime show for the Super Bowl. It it was bone-chilling. It was exciting. It was so memorable that even after her death, we still remember her for all the songs she ever did. Without a doubt, Lisa, this song, in fact, let's let's listen. Let's listen to this amazing rendition of our national anthem.
got the full, full rendition so, there. That so the, beautiful. Hey, Curtis. Yes, Lise. Uh, you know what? And I, I thank you and my family and friends and everybody that we know. We thank you for everything that you stand for. We're so proud of you. Now, question, Lise. Where in California do you reside? Oh, Mission Viejo. Mission Viejo, uh, can you uh, tell us, because we've had people uh, continue their exodus out of New York. They're fleeing fast and furiously, the state of New York. Uh, comparably, you have the same thing happening there, right? People picking up and leaving. Yeah, but that's mostly, I think it's L.A. It's, it's like L.A. County. So I, this is Orange County. It's kind of like in between. So the next city over would be uh, Lake Forest. And San Clemente, Laguna Niguel, it's a, it, we live in a very nice area. Oh, yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. But, it's gorgeous. But, it is, Curtis. But, you know, it's changing. It's changing. We're seeing things that are, it's it's a very scary time. Yeah, I will tell yeah. you this, uh, Lisa, uh, that New York and California, we must try to keep our people here because the moment they start fleeing to other states, they end yeah. up impacting the politics in those other states so that a state that, you know, basically had common sense uh, elected officials all of a sudden exactly. starting to get the New York or the California influence and it's influencing them in the wrong direction. Absolutely. There's no common sense. Oh, I got a question for you, Curtis. Yes. Please. Please, because we religiously listen to you. We breathe air, and you are in our breath every day. We want you to run for mayor. I, I don't think you want to. I, I think I've got that uh, feeling. Oh, no, no, no. At least uh, uh, the uh, alternative, every time I walk out of the studios at WABC or I'm in the subways or wherever I am, uh, whether in the city or outside the city, people are urging me to run again. Because this this mayor, Eric Adams, has done a horrible job. A horrible job. You mean, oh, is this the man without a plan? Yep, swagger man with no plan. Yes. <laughs> I love it. And Curtis, and hey, how about that Mama Luke? We, we, we laugh all day long, the Mama Luke. You know, we can't even stomach him anymore. We turn him off. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, Lisa, you don't have to turn them off because coming up at four o'clock, the funniest hour in all of radio as Avery, our phone, um, our phone, uh, what do we call him? Telephone talent coordinator. No, that's what Frank Morano refers to him as our nighttime producer. Works very hard. He has to listen to Frank Morano for 20 hours a week in his nationally syndicated show. That's right. And uh, he dissects and bisects the worst of Frank Morano and regurgitates it for all of you. Ha <laughs> ha, very funny. I got a preview Hell of no. it. Hell yeah, 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 James Golden. Uh, pr- I got a preview of Frank Morano and it was hysterical. You are a real lowlife. Yeah, well, look, we're just bringing to the forefront everything you say and we're letting your own words deep six you, Frank. Charles just going on and on and on and on and Exactly. That's what I've always said. What a mama Luke. Get, get, get the heck out of here. Oh, man. Let's go to Paul in Los Angeles. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. 
Yeah, another Californian on the line. How's it going, Curtis? Uh, I've had better days. New York not doing well. Hey, well, that's why we need you to run again, man. I mean, I'm really, uh, I'm really, it's really good news to hear that you're thinking about running again. I think you should do it. Oh, no doubt. Now, which part of L.A. do you live in, Paul? Oh, yeah, I'm the guy that lives over on, uh, I'm on Venice, close to the 10 freeway. Oh, yeah, West L.A., West L.A. Yeah. Oh, boy, exactly. you have problems here. Yeah, man. I mean, it's... The town's seen better days. I know. We had this conversation before. You know, you you go up uh, and you go to the 6th Street Pier there, uh, which is uh, where all the liberals love to hang out. uh, And then you walk through Venice and the boardwalk there, and it's like zombies from Dawn of the Dead. You got tweakers, meth heads. You got crackheads. You got guys shooting drugs. What should, oh, man. What, exactly, man. what should be open all night long with restaurants and bars and cafes, and it's like no man's land at night. People, People's cars being broken into, people being robbed, home invasions. Such a gorgeous place with so much crime. Oh, yeah. And, man, you can't get away from the, from the stench of the weed, man. It's like all over. It gets all over you, in your face and behind you on the sides. It's like in, inescapable, man. Well, remember, you guys did it first, and everybody said we want to be just like L.A., where you can walk into a dispensary and get legal marijuana. You led. Unfortunately, we followed, and you're right. You have a purple haze hanging over Venice, and we have a purple haze now hanging all over New York City. You can't walk anywhere without smelling uh, uh, the weed. Yeah, it was really a stupid move on California's part, man. It was really dumb. And, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, um, I think you're asking who shot the guy on the, on the massage table. Yes. In the <laughs> that was uh, Willie Chichi was behind the gun. And yeah, there was Mo Green, Mo, Mo Green on the on the table. No, no, and, uh, Alex it, Braca. It, right? It wasn't uh, the Godfather I was referring to. I was referring to Paul uh, in real life. About 1954, in the Park Sheridan Hotel, this guy would go for his uh, shave once a week, and he had this cigar. The barber actually put the uh, the hot towel around his face, and then he put the cigar in, and then he left the barber shop. And some guys came in and blasted him into the hereafter. I mean, they shot him so many times. Uh, There was like he looked; his body looked like Swiss cheese afterwards. Uh, Really, a violent guy. So I was asking the trivia question: Who was the guy in the barber chair that got shot up? And who were the guys who came in and blasted him into the hereafter? Oh, see, that's what happened. See, I'm I'm over here by Hollywood, man. So my mind went exactly first to the movie. So. Oh yeah, but uh, I'm way off, man. This this could easily have been uh, a movie take. Hey, Chi Chi didn't kill Mo Green anyway. You wrong. You wrong both times. Well, wait a second. Hold on. Are you disparaging Paul from uh, Venice, Los Angeles, West LA? Yeah, Chi Chi didn't kill Mo Green. It, that doesn't really matter. No. I mean, come on. Are you, are you such a fuss? But I'm telling you, Godfather. That's what I'm gonna tell you. Everybody like is experts on the Godfather. Like most most men are. Well, you got you got Rudy Giuliani here. Then you got Greg Kelly. They argue all the time about the nuances of the Godfather. Yeah, yeah. You got you got that. That's the top like ten percent. Then you have Frank Morano, who thinks he knows about the Godfather, but yeah. he knows nothing at all. 
And now we have Avery, who is a godfather expert. Again, uh, Mo Green was shot right between the eyes. You know who reminds me of Mo Green here? Sid Rosenberg. Sid Rosenberg has that same kind of Mo Green attitude. Hey, you're going to listen to Wops and Giddies. Uh, bang! Oh, the mouth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right to, well, it's, it's like Sid, right? Oh, yeah, that's what, that's, that's what Hammer Ross said. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably gets massages like that, too, you know. <laughs> You know, a pool boy starts doing a massage on him. Look, he's having a midlife crisis. You know, what can I say? But you couldn't be more hopelessly right. By the way, notice all the calls, right? Uh, we don't need to be a nationally syndicated show like Frank because we got people calling in from all across the nation. We've gotten calls from Texas. We got a call from Lisa, Mission Viejo. Oh, if you've ever been to Mission Viejo and San Clemente where... Nixon left, too. Remember when he said, Americans got to know their president is not a crook where he was. And he went to San Clemente only to come back to Saddle River where he passed away in Jersey. When you ride down Highway 1 and you go through that section, I'm not talking in the North Carmel where Clint Eastwood was the mayor. That's gorgeous there, too. But no, no, no. You go down the Mission Viejo through San Clemente. And your jaw just drops. Then you realize why California is really the jewel of the United States, why so many people wanted to go to California. I mean, I love California. I had an opportunity to move to uh, L.A. They wanted me at KBC. They wanted me to do TV and radio there because of my expertise on uh, L.A. But I said, nah, nah, you cut my veins and arteries. I don't bleed Brooklyn L.A. Dodgers. No, no, no. I bleed, right? New York Yankees. I bleed the five boroughs of the city of New York. I bleed Brooklyn. I bleed the Bronx. They said to me, do you realize how many people out here are from those areas? I said, I do. (laughs) But it ain't going to be for me. Let's go to Bill in Texas. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. Yes, the guy that got shot in the barber's chair, Albert Anastasia, and the people that shot him, I think they blame Joey Gallo and Persico and somebody else. But it was probably because he was trying to make a move on Santos Tropicante Jr. from Florida, who was in the hotel, who checked out a couple of hours before the shooting. Brilliant, brilliant. You have pinpointed all of the key persons involved in what was the head of Murder Incorporated at that time. He had taken it over from the Jews, Lepke and Gura, when they were rolling strong until they got electrocuted in Sing Sing. Uh, But Albert Anastasia would go for his weekly shave. They knew that. They came in blasting him. And it caused all kinds of internal problems for the mob. Huh? Now, now, Bill, which uh, which part of Texas are you calling from? Yeah, Sure. Bill, which which part of Texas are you calling from? Uh, the Houston area. Ah, which part of Houston? Uh, was born and raised on the east end of Houston, down uh, you know. Broadway, Harrisburg Boulevard, you know, towards the Ship Channel. Oh yeah, no, I know, I know that. Well, I spent time in what they call Allen Parkway Village, which was that project oh, yeah. right before, yeah, we, right before the downtown. Man, it was 
bad. Yeah, Al, Al, yeah, it used to be pretty bad there. It was right there on the the side of uh, downtown. I mean, it was right there. And they finally closed it down and bulldozed it. I don't know what's there now. Yeah, well, then you go right into the Westheimer, Lower Westheimer, Fifth Ward, Fourth yeah. Ward. I mean, boy, that, that is one hell of a city that's had, like, no zoning whatsoever. It's like a church here, a porno palace next to it, and then a 40-story skyscraper right next to it. No zoning whatsoever in Houston. And you could drive all day and still be in Houston. See these calls? You see, Broadway, Bill Lee, where are they all coming from? All over the country. All right, you got, you got Frank Morano. He's got the nationally syndicated show, and he's doing a great job, and he's got great affiliates. And, boy, he's trying to line up KMOX, which is the power in the heartland of America, St. Louis. But we don't need that because we have the 50,000 powerful watts of sound. You can get in on your app anywhere in the world. You can get in on the stream, on your laptop computer, uh, your worktop computer, your terrestrial radio. So many ways to listen. At night when the sun goes down, we are a global radio station. And we prove it on the weekends. When back-to-back, belly-to-belly, you can hear me from 12 midnight to 6 till the break of dawn. And so nice then the suits let me do it twice. Right here, where on the weekends, WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. that role of Johnny Fontaine in The Godfather. The guy really wanted it more than anybody else was Al Martino. You know, Al Martino in the uh, 50s had like top 40 hits galore. And then he decided to uh, have the urge to merge with the wife of Anthony Tony Ducks Corallo. Big mistake. Lucchese crime family wanted out dead. He moved to England for eight years. And who engineered his return? Russell Buffalino. Yep. So he brings him back. And when he returned, Russell helped uh, Martino secure a new record contract. He released I Love You Because in 63, which was a top five hit. Once again, he was on the circuit, protected from being killed by Anthony Ducks Corallo by who? Russell Buffalino, who was the role model for Marlon Brando doing The Godfather. But uh, Al Martino desperately wanted that role of Johnny Fontaine. So they go to Francis Ford Coppola, and he says, no, 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 I want Vic Damone. Vic Damone is my guy. And Russell Buffalino says, look, we already enabled you to film. We can shut it down just as quickly as we opened up. You're going to take my guy, Al Martino, and you're going to 
you're going to basically bid avoir to Victor Mon, or you're not making the movie. And that was the deal that was done. So now you know the rest of the story when it comes to that. This guy had the biggest influence of anybody on the making of The Godfather, the real-life mobster, Russell Buffalino, originally from Sicilia, to Buffalo and then northeast Pennsylvania. Anyway, let's go to the phones, if we can, uh, to um, George in Long Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, George. Hey, Curtis, I got two things. I have the answer about the horse, and a gelding is just a, a male horse that had its onions removed. And I've seen that done. I've seen what they have to do to the horse afterwards. It's pretty gross. I mean, they they got to run it in circles. they got to lunge it to um, get the blood out for about two or three days after it's done. But they have to do it to kind of make it a riding horse or it's kind of wild. And I've seen it, like, destroy half a barn before it was done. So there's a reason for that. And it's kind of like Frank Morano saying France. I never heard anybody in my life say France from New York. Where did that come from? I have no idea. Well, he tries to be a contrarian. And purposely rubs it in people's noses because, let's face it, nobody talks like that, George. Nobody. Well, I want to rub his nose in something when I hear him say it. I, don't, I turned it off. I couldn't listen no more. He's such a fraud. Well, let me He's tell you something. He's got a new station in Alabama. Yeah, yeah he does. Alabama people say France. People in Alabama don't say France. People in New York don't even say France. Nobody says France but him. <laughs> you are correct. That's why you don't want to miss this hour coming up. Avery catches him every week. Every week. Anyway, let's go to David, who's calling from Philadelphia. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. David in Philly. Yeah, I listened to you going back to Curtis and Kuby. Uh, that's a long time. Yeah, man. When I worked at MS-127 in the Bronx. Anyway, uh, Philly's horrible. It looks like a third world country. Yeah, so what what, what brought you down to Philly? Uh, long story short, I uh, got back with my wife, who has taken off again. But uh, Now, which part, my, which part of Philly are you living in? Uh, northeast. You know, Northeast Philly by, yeah. by Roosevelt? Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Although, you know, it used to be there were good parts and bad parts, and now it's all bad. All oh, bad. Kensington, Kensington. Oh, Somerset Kensington. and Kensington, you know, we talk about that drug, Trank. You guys yeah. had that Trank drug uh, for years, and it's like uh, dawn of the dead. It's zombies just roaming all over. It's the biggest open-air drug market anywhere in the United States, right there, Kensington and Somerset. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's depressing. I mean, I drive down there because I do drive Uber, and uh, I see it all. They stand they stand outside with handful yeah. of pills, pill popping, shooting. Uh, taking know. that trank, and the trank causes there to be sores. Like it's like Ebola, the flesh eating virus. They're laying out on the ground, and the city does nothing to stop nothing. it. Nothing. 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 
Cops are right there. Nothing. A pretty good uh, chance, uh, David, because, you know, we like to blame the red Chinese for everything, fentanyl and everything. And what I tell people is nobody is forcing Americans to take this. We have the most insatiable appetite for drugs of any country in this world. If it ain't fentanyl, it's trank, it's another drug. Uh, People become junkies in America more so than anywhere in the world because they just keep feeding the beast. The problem is ours and ours alone. That's right. I agree. Mm. And uh, it's you still got the choice not to do it. But I know you've been abused and you got bad parents. Yeah, I know. No, no, you, know. you, you can't accept that. You know, it gets to the <laughs> point where people come up with all kinds of excuses. Half the time, they're BSing you, David. Half the time, they're not telling the truth. They're, they want to tell you sad sack stories so you, you'll feel empathy and sympathy for them. You can't. You got to say, look, you are not only hurting yourself, you're hurting your family, you're hurting your friends, you're hurting the community. You're right. taking trank, which is making uh, you, you like a flesh-eating virus. Are you out of your mind? Of course you're out of their mind. They need to be hospitalized. They need to be put into a mental health facility. It's the only way you're going to straighten them out. Yes, sir. The, the, not to change the subject. You know who Sam the plumber was? No, who? De Cavalcanti. Ah. Buddy, best friend, best friend of my grandfather. I won't drop names. Hmm. Hmm. Remember De Cavalcanti? Sure. Sure, absolutely. From, uh, from Jersey. Kenilworth. Yeah. Kenilworth. I met him. I met him. He, uh, my grandfather borrowed the money to open the funeral home. And uh, when my grandfather was straight, he kind of had him on the hook. They, they would always, uh, they, they loved and respected my grandfather. But uh, I'm from Trenton. You know who else? You know who else is from Trenton? He our news director, Noam Laden. Oh, he was born and raised in Trenton. But I, I will tell you this about the De Calvacantes. They're considered the sixth family of organized crime. You know, you have the Lucchese's, the Columbos, Bananos, Genovese, Gambinos, and the De Calvacantes from New Jersey. That's right. That's as, right. As rough a group of guys as has ever existed. Isn't that the what the Sopranos are modeled after? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they would have affiliations with the Gambinos where they would swap members. Or if somebody was uh, on oh. the lam in New York, uh, they would transfer to the DeCalvacantes in Jersey. It's almost yeah. like uh, they had a residual agreement, uh, you know, to help one another across the uh, Hudson River, which is the basis of the Sopranos also. That's right. And Sam the plumber, I met him once. Uh, he was always at the funeral home. And uh, now, did they? Did, did you get to know how they run the funeral home? My grandfather was a brute. He wasn't Sicilian, so he he told me stay away from them. And when anytime they had funerals, he'd give them the keys and say, "You guys lock yourself in the office and have your have your meetings." But Sam would come to him and ask him, hey, can, can you bury bodies under legitimate bodies in the same casket? Exactly. My grandfather said, get the hell out of here. Are you crazy? No, yeah, uh, call that a double-decker. 
Yeah, I saw it myself. My uh, my Kumadiset, uh, Sue Lamesta, uh, her father, Lamesta's funeral parlor, East New York on Liberty Avenue. I yeah. would go back there, and, you know, they, you would see they'd have half half shoes, half pants, half this, half that for the mm. bodies. And then I would see there'd be, like, another space underneath some of these caskets. And I would say to my Kumadiset, Sue Lamesta, I'd say, what's that, Kumadiset? And she would say, none of your business. You didn't see this. One yawn. Fatali fatatu. Cheat to cheat. You didn't see this. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Oh, by the way, uh, let's play the apology that they made me uh, do to the uh, Jimmy Khan. Uh, you can't miss that. You got it right there. You can't miss it. I would like to take this opportunity to correct a few statements I made in earlier broadcasts on my show concerning the well-known actor James Khan. Contrary to my prior statements... Mr. Khan was not in attendance at a court hearing involving Andrew Russo in New York on April 15, 2011. And therefore, he did not kiss Mr. Russo on the mouth at that hearing, as I previously stated. I also falsely stated that Mr. Khan was a trisexual. I have no knowledge about Mr. Khan's sexual preferences or activities, and it was not my intention to question Mr. Khan's sexual preferences or activities. Although Mr. Khan had written a letter to the judge in support of Mr. Russo obtaining bail, I incorrectly referred to that letter as a friend of the court brief. Further, Mr. Russo did not assist Mr. Khan in his early acting career. I retract my earlier baseless comments about Mr. Khan and sincerely apologize for making them. <laughs> It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Sure is the same old shillelagh me father I'm Irish, I come from Calabria, Ireland. Sheeps at bay. They play this because this is the music played during the seventh inning stretch of uh, home games for the New York Mets at City Field. And no doubt, Mets fans are feeling a lot better about themselves, but... Uh, 
A proud, tried and true Met fan is uh, Frank Morano, who still to this day wears the throwback Mike Piazza Italian Stallion uh, jersey. But that is the lead-in to the funniest hour in all of radio, as conducted by our own Avery, uh, nighttime producer, and a man who has dedicated his life each week to listening to 20 hours of Frank rambling on in his nationally syndicated show across the nation, Monday through Friday from 1 to 5. And I can see he started out by talking about, of all things, uh, Avery, Ice cream cake. I am not a fan of cake, honestly. The one exception to that is ice cream cake. I have no idea, once they invented ice cream cake, how (laughs) they don't make every single cake an ice cream cake. In my view, ice cream cake is so superior to regular non-ice cream cake, Uh especially for birthdays. Going from the hand crank manual window controls... To the power windows, that is the <laughs> that's the equivalent of regular cake to ice cream cake. What the hell is ice that? Ice cream cake is that superior? We're not done. to regular cake. <laughs> I just can't understand how the regular cake people stay in business. Oh God, can't understand it. Gee whiz, Betty Crock has been making millions for years, and you don't understand that. He felt so strong he had to make an ice cream cake analogy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get him nowhere unless there's an ice cream cake there. By the way, you go to his house, Shea Morano, in the <laughs> south shore of Staten Island. You open up the uh, ice box. There's a Carvel log cake there. At night, when Rachel is sleeping, he, he squirrels away to get slices of the Carvel the log clock. cake. They had they had to get an ice cream cake at his mother's birthday party to get him there. Yeah, Fudgy the Whale. <laughs> Fudgy the Whale. Tom Carvel. He's got a picture of Tom Carvel in his house. That's right. He's your my mother. girl. It's your mother, Frank. Will there be ice cream cake? Oh, God. And then, <laughs> as we flip the script from uh, ice cream cakes to the man who says that, hey, he loves buffets, especially when they have crab legs. Uh, let's say hello to Anthony in Brooklyn. Hello, Anthony. Frank, any of the big hotels have um, all-you-can-eat dinner buffets, do you know? If I'm picking the best quality of food that anybody can get into, that you don't have to be a um, a big shot or a special status of a, a player or anything. Because <laughs> you won't get the in. The best <laughs> uh, quality of food is the Borgata buffet. It is Borgata. outstanding. It is really oh. It's worth going to the Borgata just for the buffet, mm. honestly. Mm. Just for okay, the buffet. thank you so much, Frank. And then I, not I have not <laughs> tried the buffet there, but I'm told Kelsey's, Kelsey's is uh, yeah, is sure, very, sure. very, is very good as well. That's not in a, in a casino or anything. Now, how much is he getting from the Borgata to I say that? This is the second straight week, man. I mean, he loves that Borgata buffet. It's worth going all the way to Atlantic City just <laughs> for the Borgata buffet. Yeah, what do they sprinkle in the peach cobbler, Frank? Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> you love that Borgata buffet. Yeah, because he gets to shoot craps morning, noon, and night there at the Borgata. But he hinted that he would go there. Just for that and not even gamble. Just for the buffet, even if they didn't give him crab legs. What is at this buffet? Man, let me tell you something. Frank is in love with the Borgata in Atlantic City. 
I want to know what freebies he gets. Yeah. What's he snoring you know in got, Atlantic City? You know they got to have ice cream cake there. Then. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> that, Fudgy the whale. Yeah, that would be the only buffet with ice cream cake. Uh, it got to be. Platypus. <laughs> anyway, then um, what would Frank Morano be without somehow getting all excited about anything from Star Trek? I want to thank uh, Jeff Schilling, a listener to our show, who actually was kind enough to send me a Star Trek pizza cutter. <laughs> you know, a pizza wheel in the shape of the Enterprise. I mean, how cool is that? How cool is that? Cool. It does, is it autographed by his hero, William Shatner? The, no, the wheel part is Shatner's face. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a snorer. Yeah, Shatner, he, Shatner's face touches his pizza before he does. So he begs for gifts from the listeners, and some of the listeners are stupid enough to send him gifts. He loved it, man. And, boy, talk about Frank Morano, name dropper extraordinaire. Janis Joplin singing Bobby McGee. Uh, this song is actually a personal favorite of my friend Geraldo Rivera, who turned 80 years old on July 4th. Same birth date as America. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. Happy birthday to Geraldo. What right. a name dropper. Hey, Frank, man, if he's your friend, why don't you get him on the show a couple times? Yeah, yeah, do that. Get Geraldo on the show. Run right. him on up here, man. You no, know, we got to keep promoting. Oh, he's going to have RFK Jr., RFK Call Jr., 1 o'clock, 1 o'clock on Monday morning, RFK Jr. Who cares? Uh, every friend he has with every weird nickname, OB this and all these other people, <laughs> he has them on like almost every week. But I've never, I haven't heard Geraldo come on. That's right. He loves to drop Geraldo's name. That's your friend, Frank. But Geraldo probably wouldn't even answer his phone call. No. Who's this? He look at his phone and they put the phone back down. <laughs> <laughs> what a name dropper. And then, naturally, his aphrodisiac is cheese, fromage. Pink accepted another unorthodox present from a fan yesterday. This one is much more my speed. And uh, a fan presented her with a large wheel of brie cheese. Oh, boy. Now, they didn't say if it was triple cream brie or what kind of brie oh. it was. Triple cream. But oh, if I'm performing somewhere now, and somebody gives me a, a giant block of cheese, I think that's just beautiful. Do you prefer the block of cheese or a case of tab? Oh, uh, well, tab goes for, if you could find tab now, it goes for $200 a case. So I'll take the tab. She didn't ask you all that. Man, just play along. You can't even just play along. <laughs> You, gotta, you always got to be a nerd and just give the price of the tab. But you notice how he's snoring. He wants listeners to send him tab, send him a large <laughs> wheel cheese. of brie cheese, <laughs> yeah. extra creamy, just like Pink Cod. Yeah, was it, was it extra creamy? Was it this? Was it that? He was in his pocket then, man. God, he's always snoring stuff. Yeah, cheese and tab. Man, <laughs> oh, wow. That's a breakfast of champions, right? Cheese and tab. That's how you bribe him. <laughs> he wants something. <laughs> Velveeta and Tab. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And then he's going to comment on the founding fathers of our country. I watched, uh, as we do just about every July 4th, we watched uh, 1776. The version that I'm watching has a lot of enhanced footage. And one of the scenes... That's in the version that's on, I think we bought it on Apple TV or Amazon Prime, is John Adams and Benjamin Franklin 
shouting to Thomas Jefferson's wife, Martha, played by Blythe Danner. They're both shouting to her, good morrow. They both say good morrow, so I got a big kick out of that. So those of you that are morrowholics, you can go ahead and watch that scene. Oh, God. Oh, man. Yeah, Frank. Good job, Frank. In 1776, they used to yell your catchphrase at people. Well, wait a second. And plus, <laughs> what a nerdy tradition he has that every July 4th. He watches 1776. Yeah. Oh, my God. Good morrow. Good morrow. Ho, 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 ho. Man, what is wrong with this guy? They'd have a hearty laugh and, uh, and then abuse the lower class. Oh, speaking of abuse, <laughs> we may have to report Frank to um, Dyfus uh, in New Jersey or Child Welfare in New York. After this call that he had with John from Reno. John is in Reno, Nevada, uh, listening on the Nevada Talk Radio Network. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. I had a question for you. What kind of music does Carmine like? You know, that is a great question. So my wife believes he is a big Taylor Swift fan. Oh, okay? no. He, oh, no. She believes, and whenever she tries to calm him down, if he's fussing in the car or uh, something along those lines she believes that uh, the antidote is taylor swift so she has a playlist for him and it includes a lot of taylor swift it's very heavy on on taylor swift he likes uh, he likes taylor swift man frank how do you how do you like do you understand what you just did man He's turning Carmine into a girly man. No, but I mean, I mean, you could, you could, you could listen to whatever you want. But that's you broke dad code, guy code, bro code. You're not supposed to out him for knocking Taylor Swift all over the country. He got a life to live. I mean, why would they be allowing him to to listen to Taylor Swift over and over? But he's not supposed to put it out there. Hey, we got we got Carmine on the line. Hey, Carmine, um, do you really like Taylor Swift? I mean, no, it's okay if you like Taylor Swift. I mean, no, no, for real, no. If you like it, it's okay. I'm just asking it. Carmine, look, it's okay. Like, she's a, she's a legitimate. All right, I'll fine. I'll leave it alone. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but think of it. You're letting this young male, Carmine. He got a life to live, Frank. Listen to Taylor Swift. I mean, that's, that's on the road to transgenderism. I mean, he's looking at uh, becoming a second Dylan Mulvaney at this rate. She's a legitimate. Hell no. She's a legitimate artist, Carmine. Oh, man. I mean, look, man, I wouldn't want anybody to put me out there like that. Oh, hell no. And I wouldn't want, man. I would, look, you think I'd have any of my three sons, Anthony Carter or Hunter, listening to Taylor Swift? Hell no. I mean, you can, you can listen to what you want to listen to. I mean, but what you do in your own house is supposed to be sacred, Frank. Hell no. <laughs> anyway, all Frank cares about, forget Carmine, is his Monroe <laughs> College <laughs> mug. I'll tell you what is not here. My, and I, I'm not joking about this, my Monroe College mug. Oh, God. I have this great mug that Man. fits about 12 ounces of liquid in it, and I can't <laughs> find it. I'm sitting in the studio adjacent to this one yesterday before this program starts. And I'm saying, I said to Curtis Lewa, who's in there with me, I said, Curtis, have you seen my Monroe College mug? He says, no, I haven't seen anything, anything like that. <laughs> and uh, and he said, why does it seem like people are always messing with you and your stuff and taking your things? And I said, you tell me. I'm looking right at you. 
Man, he don't even investigate no more, Curtis. He just go right oh, to you. Yeah, right to me. Blame me for everything. Meantime, everything. Meantime, you think this guy has a problem misplacing his mugs? He's always complaining what's, about losing his mugs. What's going on with this? And this is now it's just Monroe mug. Why do we keep hearing about <laughs> this one Monroe? It's when he went and spoke at that college and they paid him in merchandise. That's right. They gave him a mug. They gave that him was a mug. I might add, it was chipped. They gave him a mug, a flag, and a foam <laughs> finger. Oh my! God. <laughs> Everybody else got money. Uh, <laughs> and then he spoke about that. He got that Monroe College mug for being a guest speaker, as Avery had pointed out. It's a great mug, and I got that from <laughs> Marty Bland, who I may see tomorrow, when he invited me to be a guest lecturer at Monroe College. Those poor children, I don't know, whatever whatever I could uh, pass on to them. I love that mug. It's so functional. I have a Frank Morano mug that I've been using the last two days, and it's nice. It looks nice, but I can't fit 12 ounces of liquid in there. I can fit at most 10, oh, and the liquid God, goes man. all the way up to the, you know, the itty-bitty top. So it's... <laughs> Um, it's not an ideal mug by any stretch. Who, who notices things like that? You know the difference between 10 and 12 ounces of liquid. It's not even a gulp. It's not even a swallow. He has to have 12 ounces of liquid. It seems like that. I need 12 ounces of liquid. 10 won't do. Man, I, I, Frank, man, I, I, I don't know what to say, man. Just uh, try to find his Monroe uh, college mug, please. It's like his pacifier. It's like, uh, who is that guy in Charlie Brown, you know, who needed his banky? You know, oh, Linus. Walk, that's right, like Linus. He needs his Monroe college mug. It's, it's like a rite of passage. I think every intern, every new hire has to steal his mug. Yes. And, and, and like, post the video of it. Right, and, and fondle it. <laughs> yeah. And, and have a sexual relationship yeah. with it. Take it to the bathroom, do all kind of stuff. <laughs> God. And take pictures and then put it back. Stop it, Frank. <laughs> with this stupid Monroe college mug. Where's my mug at? <sighs> my mug has gone missing again. And then. Something that I don't think he'll ever do, although he professes that living on the south shore of Long Island, make that Staten Island, uh, Tottenville, right? I mean, a place where the bombs are bursting in air before the 4th of July and after the 4th of July. Now, all of a sudden, Frank Morano, like a snake that sheds its skin, is going to shed the tradition of blasting off fireworks? Now! Over the last, I don't know, what year is it? Over the last four or five years, no, last six years, <laughs> living with three cats and seeing how these cats are terrorized by these fireworks and seeing how dogs are terrorized from these fireworks, I have to say, it's like a telethon. I didn't think I would ever get to this point, but I am now unabashedly anti-fireworks. And the more I learn about fireworks, the more I um, am against them. And I am really pleased that some people are starting to look at fireworks alternatives. And this sounds like in one of those Taliban tapes, like 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 he's a hostage. This got Rachel written all over it, man. Oh, man. He's living with, with her cats, and she's like, my cats don't like fireworks, so you don't like fireworks. Exactly. What, what is he waiting for, the drones instead of the fireworks? She took away 4th of July from him. Oh, man. <laughs> Poor cats. The cats showed him the way. Okay, Frank. <laughs> 
Now, you know he hates those cats. Save the kittens. You know he hates those cats. He's a dog man. So then what does he do? He comes back and he talks about the dogs, too. People are already setting off fireworks. I'm thinking all the dogs that are being terrorized, all the cats that are being terrorized. The, the It's just ridiculous. For what? To see something go boom? <laughs> what are you talking about? Wait, do, do you hate apple pie, too, Frank? Do you hate everything American? Do you hate everything American now all nope, of a sudden? No, but he loves peach cobbler. He, he loves, loves peach cobbler. <laughs> ice cream cake. But you hate fireworks because, because the cats and the dogs don't like it? Because the fireworks go boom. Boom. Whoa. What is this, like boom, boom, Mancini? <laughs> Look at what you did to little champ there. Oh, Look at little champ. Man. I can't enjoy it because champ is scared. And then... Talking about him moving up the ladder, aging quickly, you know he's AARP, he won't admit it. But notice how he forgets who our news director is. John is on Long Island. Hello there, John. Hey, Frank, I asked you a question before. Let me get more clarification. Uh, like Norm Abrams, you know, he when he chimes in with his reports, <laughs> does he write his own headlines? And I give you an example. When Daniel Penny was, uh, you know, in the chokehold, uh, uh, Norm Abrams says, you know, it was a deadly chokehold. Then he changed it later on. Did he write that headline? Oh, that comes from somewhere else. In the exercise that he just mentioned, Noam Abrams would have written that himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he gotcha. would. He would. Okay. Yeah. So I, I really, I honestly don't know. That's uh, one of the things they wisely keep me away from. Who is Noam Abrams? I, I think I think you and you and me, Noam Laden, right? Right. Friends? Of course, Noam Laden, the news director. The news director, your friends. Who <laughs> Who is Noam Abrams? Frank, man, I mean, look, I mean, I, I know you, you have an occasional slip of the tongue. Now, now, I want you to extricate that from your uh, funniest hour of all of uh, radio, and please send that to Noam Laden. <laughs> I, I want Noam Laden to listen to that and say, what What the hell? Frank's known me for years. He doesn't know my name yet? John is on Long Island. Hello there, John. <laughs> hey, Frank, I asked you a question before. What is, let me get more clarification. Uh, like Norm Abrams, you know, he when he... The guy don't know who he is. <laughs> He don't correct the guy right there. <laughs> oh, what a schmuck. And then, what, what, let me hear what the rest that he had to say there. John is on Long Island. Hello there, John. Hey, Frank, I asked you a question before. What is me, me get more clarification? Uh, like Norm Abrams, you know, he, when he chimes in with his reports. Does he write his own headlines? And I give you an example. When Daniel Penny was uh, you know, in the chokehold, uh, uh, Norm Abrams says, you know, it was a deadly chokehold. And then he changed it later on. Did he write that headline? Oh, that comes from somewhere else. In the exercise that he just mentioned, Norm Abrams would have written that himself. <laughs> oh, he yeah. called him yeah, no Abrams. Okay. Okay. No yeah, so I, I really, I honestly don't know. That's uh, one of the things they wisely keep me away from. Yeah, and, and everything else. God, he's, <laughs> he's horrible. Noam Abrams. Man. Noam Abrams. My, it, man, my man Frank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, calling all cars. Has anybody seen Noam, Noam Abrams. Abrams? Hey, what's up, Noam? <laughs> Please, I want you to send that to Noam Laden. That will break his heart. Please, would you do that, Avery? Frank, I thought we were closer than that. <laughs> and then his obsession with RFK Jr. all weekend long. You got to promote the fact that RFK Jr. is joining me Monday at 1 o'clock. That's right, Monday, Monday, 1 o'clock in the morning. He is obsessed with RFK Jr. You know who I was texting with right before the show began? Just about. 35 minutes ago, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You know, I said, Mr. Kennedy, 
when are we getting you back on the radio? You're going on this podcast, that podcast. Oh, God. I think uh, I've said a lot of very complimentary things, sincerely. And you're doing shows that we have a much larger audience than. So I believe he, he said, how about tomorrow? So I think he may be here tomorrow. I, I guess we have to finalize it. I don't know. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Well, well I, wonder, I wonder if he's going to show. Uh, uh, and then, no, but you, you kind of get the feeling that, well, Frank, I'm aware of you. I just don't really take your your, your show seriously. <laughs> but read the room, Frank. And then it's all about RFK Jr. Yesterday, I alluded to the fact that <laughs> I had a conversation with Robert F. Kennedy oh, Jr. yesterday oh. where he indicated that he might be able to come on the show today. Oh, Let me give you a little behind the scenes yeah, about yeah, what Frank. happened there. Yeah, we're not I talking sent to him, this Frank. whole memo. Jay's campaign team on Saturday, either Friday or Saturday, explaining the kind of audience that we reach, the numbers of people that we reach, and how many more people are listening to this show as opposed to some of these podcasts oh, that he's God. on. And um, the fact that, you know, uh, that I've said, said I think work. some very nice things about him <laughs> on the air. And no response. No response at all from his campaign. RMK said, look, do I do I have to worry about this guy? <laughs> He's sending us homework now. <laughs> he had a big glossy picture of Frank on a, on a three-ring binder. That's right. Does he not realize that's why Tulsi Gabbard won't appear with him? He stalks these people. Leave me alone. RMK said, look, Frank, all right, don't call me. I'll call you. If you call me, that's it. It's over. If you If you call me again, Frank... I'm not coming. He gets obsessed. He'll call these people like 10, 11, 11 12 times 12, in one day. 13 times. And he's like, look, RFK, you had this. You went on this show. You went on that show. You went on this show. Our show's better. Come on my show. And he doesn't understand why these people are repulsed, why they want nothing to do with him. And then he bogarts RFK Jr.'s press person, and he wonders why she's getting upset. Then someone from his campaign calls me yesterday. Same person I've been dealing with, nice lady. And she says, basically, <laughs> hey, when you involve Mr. Kennedy in this, it really it causes me a lot more stress, and it adds a half hour of work to my day. But I'm thinking to myself, the only reason I had to involve him in this oh, is because you were not helpful in getting something scheduled. So, I mean, don't <laughs> complain that I gave you more work to do when clearly this is a show that he should be on. Oh, God. Hey, the only reason I had to get him involved is because you didn't get down with the program, That's sister. Right. That's right. Now, he's supposed to be on this show. I tried to do it the easy way. Now we're going to do it my way. Now, you know this woman is going to have it in for him every oh, time. A dart boy with his picture on it. That's right. She's going to make sure that RFK Jr. doesn't call on time, that he's misplaced his phone, Frank, that he has an excuse. Frank said, I don't care about your life. You acting like I care about your life. I tried to do it your way. Now we're going to do it my way. I just want an interview with RFK yeah. Jr. If I can't talk to Tulsi Gabbard, yeah. I want to talk to RFK Jr. I don't care if I make your life inconvenient. I don't care if I add two days to your to, to your life. I don't care. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 70. WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Oh, 
when the sun beats down and burns the tar up on the roof. And your shoes get so hot, you wish your tired feet were fireproof. That's where you will not catch Frank Morano under the boardwalk of Atlantic City. No chance of that. Yours truly, the Frankster. Because he's either shooting craps uh, on the cuff at the Borgata, or he's eating the buffet, which he claims is so good. At the Borgata. Right. So good <laughs> that it's worth the trip all the way to Atlantic City. Don't gamble. Don't go sightseeing. Yeah. Yeah. Just come there for... The uh, the smorgasbord. Yeah. Uh, let's say hello to Anthony in Brooklyn. Hello, Anthony. Frank, any of the big hotels have um, all-you-can-eat dinner buffets, do you know? <laughs> if I'm picking the best quality of food... I like how he tries to leave and Frank keeps them there. A, um, a big shot or a special status of a, a player or anything. The best yeah. uh, quality of food is the Borgata buffet. Ha! <laughs> Gee, what's he getting in return for that? Yeah. And then, of course, he's most infamous for his $1,000 uh, for a minute of answers, which nobody ever seems to nail because he makes it impossible. And now he's made one that is simply all about Star Trek. And this poor guy doesn't have a shot in hell based on what he has to say initially. Mike is in Manhattan, our contestant today. Hello, Mike. How you doing there? Are you familiar with Star Trek? Only really the, the original. Okay. Well, I'd say that will cover 70% of these. 70% okay. will cover Oh, the well, universe. there goes so we'll that. Um, <laughs> all right. What, co- what quadrant of the galaxy do the Borg come from? What? What? The fourth quadrant? I have no idea. Uh, I'm sorry. You're doing really well there. Um, it's the Delta Quadrant. The Delta Quadrant. The Delta from. Quadrant. You got up to question six. Mike, um, I'm going to... I said I was only going to go with the original. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, the board, they, they sort of... you got to get at least one board question. It is. But he did well. i got to tell you, for a guy that didn't know the anything beyond the original, did okay. Number one, off the, off the, off the rip, we knew a third of the questions he wasn't going to know because he, he only knew 70% of the questions. Why did we even go through that charade, Frank? <laughs> Why did we? He had no chance of winning. Why did we go through that charade? And this is on the Fourth of July, Curtis. What does what does Star Trek have to do with the Fourth of July? Exactly, and he handicaps the guy. He handicaps. totally handicaps the guy. Now Frank is not giving away any money, so guess that one third that he's not going to know. Guess when that's going to come at oh, the end. Oh yeah, at the end. Oh yeah. What who, uh, what planet was uh what, what was Captain Kirk from Earth? Oh okay. <laughs> what was the name of the, of the ship? The star the Starship Enterprise. Okay, now we on on question seven. Who was the emperor of planet Gleep Blop? <laughs> Some hard question. <laughs> um, um. 
who was who, who was the emperor of Planet Glee Blob's daughter? And, and how old was she when Captain Kirk got onto the planet? I don't know. Oh, hey, come on, Frank. He sets them up so that they can never win. Give these people a chance, Frank. <laughs> no, that ain't happening. And then, listen to this. He's giving this woman a hard time about his mail segment. Ellen, who writes a question about the mail segment. Hi, Frank. Something you've been driving me crazy since you just started doing this part of the show. <laughs> what are the words to the close of the mail segment? I've listened and listened and have even slowed it down. I still can't make it out, make out the words. Well, so people understand what she's talking about. Let's hear that again. <laughs> sound like to you, Kenneth? Another letter from our listeners? Yeah, or something like that? Okay, so good, good job, make Kenneth. That last <laughs> Another letter from our listeners' day. It sounds to me like another letter from a listener's day. This is a syndicated show, people. Oh, my God. Ellen, I'm sorry. I'm apologizing to you. Oof. He should have known. Just call Libertini and find out what the words are, Frank. Why does this, why you let this poor lady suffer? <laughs> Ellen had to scoot up to the speaker, put her ear to the speaker. She's slowing this in the song down. She still don't know. So much, <laughs> so much so that she wrote to you, Frank. What are the words to this song? <laughs> She's obsessed with this song, and nobody knows. <laughs> and, then, and then he continues on this ordeal. This is grueling to listen to. Let's slow it down a little bit uh, so we can see if there's a better shot that we can figure it out here. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think it's... A t- <laughs> I don't know, but I think it's another letter from a listener's day. All right, without further ado... Yeah, he jumped off that quick. He's like, man, this is not working out. <laughs> hey, this is not going how I planned it. What? Another letter for the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank, you had the questions in advance. Call Libertini and give Ellis some reprieve here. <laughs> this, is, this is a nationally syndicated show. show. And Ellis still don't know what the words are. I was like, why do you keep playing the song? Why do you keep torturing me? Well, Just fact, tell me. In fact, they're going to have a meeting this week specifically <laughs> to find out from Chris Libertini what, what are the words says. in the song. Hey, I'm sorry, Ellen. I'm sorry. Call Libertini, Frank. <laughs> why are you doing this to your listeners? You, she hired somebody from the FBI. And, and remember, it always, all, all wagons circle around the fake, phony, fraudulent setup 
of the $1,000 that he never gives you if you get all answers of a, in a minute's time right. Who did Muhammad Ali beat to become heavyweight champion in 1964? Oh, man. Joe Frazier? Ah, no. I'm sorry. You were doing really well. Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston. Uh, a, uh, a really, um, a, he didn't fight uh, Joe Frazier, Smoking Joe, until a bit later. But, uh, I mean, that, uh, that Ali-Liston battle, that was an even bigger rivalry at the time than... Joey Chestnut and Takaro Kobayashi. What? I'm telling you, 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 you hear him, his, his whole demeanor changes when he starts talking about sports. Wait, if wait, it's not baseball. Wait, Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi <laughs> comparing? It's like he's walking over glass with, with, with no shoes on. So that, that, no, but he, he, he shouldn't talk sports because he, no, he, he doesn't really know doesn't what he's know talking it. about. Hey, Frank, Muhammad Ali never beat Liston for the title. He was Cassius Clay when he beat Liston. Exactly. And Dick Young reminded us of that every time he wrote a sports column about Cassius Clay, as he called it. And what kind of rivalry are we dealing with, Frank? They hadn't even fought yet. <laughs> and even if you use the two times Ali beat Sliston, that's not a rivalry. That's two to nothing. Why are you bringing up Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi? And then you thought, because that, that's what he knows. He, 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 he mixes uh. what he doesn't know. And throws in a little bit of what he does know. Oh, but what he does know, he thinks, is about ghosts and the paranormal. Igor is in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Do you believe in ghosts, and would you be open to a relative who has passed to come visit you? Absolutely, uh, to both. I absolutely do. I've spoken with... Thank you, Igor. I've spoken with uh, a number of um, mediums, mm. some that I just find... To be total charlatans, but I spoke to a number of mediums and witnessed conversations that uh, that other people have had with with mediums that have uh, that I found pretty convincing. So yes, I absolutely do uh, believe in ghosts. And, uh, seen, I would love to things. talk with a uh, a family member or a friend oh, sure, that sure. is no longer oh, no sure, longer with sure, us. Sure, sure, sure. Hey, hey, Frank, it's me. It's Grandma. <laughs> Frank, it's me. Don't you want to talk to me? Oh, God. Hey, Frank, I'm hungry. Make me a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we can talk for two hours. Oh, maybe you could go over to Gracie Mansion because Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal alien, says Gracie Mansion is haunted. Hey, what, what conversation did he see that he walked away convinced that they're ghosts? Oh, That's man. what I want to see. And then he insists he knows nothing about sports. And he knows nothing about music. Uh, doesn't that wow you every time that you hear that he wrote the Banana Boat song, a.k.a. Deo? No one knows that. And I didn't see it mentioned in any of his um, obituary. Actually, I think the Times did mention it in theirs. But I, I, all the television coverage of this, all the radio coverage, I didn't see any coverage mm -hmm. that mentioned mm -hmm. his role in the Banana Boat song. So if, you want, if you're one of the people that's working today, not one of the people with the day off today... And you want to wow your coworkers? You just tell them that. That's gonna really <laughs> oh, win right. you a lot of friends around the office. It, now, it really will. Now, Curtis, he oh he he goes to this a lot. So he made me. I was like, let me see if this is true. He's talking about Alan Arkin writing the Banana Boat song. No, 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 but no, no, no. That's Harry Belafonte. Has Harry? No, see, Alan Arkin was responsible for a version of it, but Frank comes on with the Harry Belafonte version that Alan Arkin had nothing to do with. And then he wants you to have water cooler talk Water cooler about talk. It. He wants you to hold that nugget in your pocket for when your boys walk by. 
and he wants you to be dead wrong to your boss. It was a it was a bunch of versions of that of the banana boat song floating around out there. Alan Arkin is not a the no, single writer. No, he's, he's no. And nobody nobody thinks of he, Alan Arkin when you think of the banana boat. He's song. not. And, and stop playing the Belafonte version because Alan Arkin had nothing to do with that, Frank. Exactly, exactly. And then wrong he, again, Marano. He decides to take a shot at me. Now it is interesting. Uh, my friend Curtis Lewa, who uh, sat in for me recently when I was off. He actually participated in this contest one time. He finished in third place. And that third place finish that he had was he finished with 12 HDB in 12 minutes. That would not only not be good enough for third place these days, that would not even be good enough to qualify for the contest. Joey's taking shots. First of all, it was 16, 1996. I finished... Uh, third in third place, it was Ed the uh, Maspeth Incinerator Cratchy. He ate twenty five. Mike the Scholar Devito. He ate twenty, and I ate sixteen. What the hell is he talking about, man? I'm telling you, he, he likes cutting your accomplishments, Curtis. Oh yeah, and then oh, he, then he wants to remind everyone that Obama became president, believe it or not, because I didn't make a certain decision. One of the leading candidates for U.S. Senate in Illinois back in 2004 was Michael Ryan. He dropped out of the uh, the Senate race, and I'll let you in on a little secret on this. I uh, <laughs> urged Curtis Lewa to run for that Senate seat in Illinois. I thought, I don't know that he could have beaten Obama, but I thought he would have been able to at least cause Obama to need to respond to the ways, the the things that Curtis says in the way that he says it and things of that nature. After that, I always blamed um, Curtis Lee for electing Barack Obama because he didn't run against Obama in that 2004 race. I don't even know if Curtis remembers that, but yeah, that yeah, is yeah. I, I remember it, Frank. <laughs> I remember Michael Ryan, who would have been the U.S. senator if he didn't get caught in a swingers club with his wife. That's what propelled Barack Obama that nobody knew to victory. But he's claiming because I didn't decide to move to Illinois, leave New York, and run against Barack Obama. That's how he eventually became president of the United States. You, he, why don't you listen to Frank? He's always talking about like points in history that he urged you to make a move. If you just listen to him, you'll be president by now. Curtis. Yeah, right. You be he urged you to do this. He urged you to go against that. He urged me to replace the swinger who got caught swinging with his wife in a swingers club, Michael Ryan, who would have won the Senate race against State Senator Barack Obama. But, uh, oh, man. I, I told Curtis to run for I told Curtis to run for Senate. I told Curtis to run for Assemblyman. I told Curtis to run for Congress. Like, he's always urging you to do this and yeah, do that. Yeah, he's urging me. Uh, you know, it's like he's poon juice. Yeah. Poon juice ur- always urges your body to purge things. I urge I urge Curtis to invest in Amazon when it first started. Exactly. That's what Frank Morano is. A He'd be natter- a billionaire. He'd be a president he's, billionaire. He's a nattering urger. And speaking of urger, all you got to do is mention William Shatner, and he goes completely for toots. I see that there are some new new tour dates for that uh, William Shatner tour of screening Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. They've got tour dates in Florida. They've Uh-oh. got tour dates in Wisconsin. Oh, they've got boy. tour dates in a few other places. 
and uh, one in out. Illinois. I have reached out to the people running this tour that uh, told, told them I'd be happy to participate again in this. But so far, they have yet to take me up on it. God. <laughs> see, see where it goes. Hey, Frank, for you first got to wait for Shatner's order of protection to run out. <laughs> That's the first thing you got to do. If I was Frank Curtis, I would call them and tell them, I don't care how much you offer it to me, I don't want it. And see what happens. Yep, yep. Yeah, now that uh, reverse strategy. Reverse it. Yeah, because he's, he won't. Now, ladies and gentlemen, he's not calling up like once a day. He's ups- He calls up the person 12 times a day. On a tour, he got booted off already. <laughs> People think he's a maniac. They wouldn't let him work for free. <laughs> they wouldn't let him work for free. Uh, and now he's looking to jump back on. Oh, and uh, the, the groupie that he is... He has some advice. Listen to it. I'm looking forward to hopefully being a part of that William Shatner tour again. You won't. You because won't. it's you really won't. cool to be able to see Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. You smothered him. You smothered him, Morano. Shatner <laughs> and listeners about it. I mean, there's so many great uh, clips. There's so many great scenes from Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. And I really do think in the entire Star Trek franchise, probably in his whole career, that is absolutely Walter Koenig, who plays Chekhov. That is absolutely Walter Koenig's best performance. Shatner just shaking his head. Oh, no. <laughs> the look on Chekhov's face when he realizes they're in trouble oh, because they're on the Botany Bay, oh. they, they can't teach that in acting school. I mean, that is something. Oh, that's like yeah. Lee Strausberg, you know, method acting. I'm, su- I'm surprised Chekhov, I'm surprised he didn't get the Oscar that year. God, man. Or even nominated. If he was so good, Frank, what else has he been in? Look, anything involved with Star Trek or William Shatner or any of the characters, he embellishes to the high heavens. What, how can we haven't heard of this guy? What else has he been in, Frank? Exactly. With that Oscar-worthy uh, performance. In Star Trek Two, Wrath <laughs> <laughs> of Khan. <laughs> you imagine a presenter just saying that, and the Oscar goes to Wrath of Khan. <laughs> oh, and then he's got to keep rambling on about Mel Brooks and his high anxiety that he has, Frank, and trying to make sure that he secure him an honorary Oscar at their award ceremony. It's you that, that I blame. I blame. <laughs> the great Mel Brooks. It's singing high anxiety. I love God, you're giving me anxiety. Oh, Frank, man. And then when the spirit just keep when the, when the spirit catch you like that, Frank, just just hold on, just hold on a second. And then he decides, okay, I beat up on Greg Kelly last week. I'm gonna make the move as if I'm gonna do it again, and then I'm gonna go after the guy on the Fox News channel. The former wrestler, what's his name? Tyrus. Does anybody ever say why it's so ridiculous that Tyrus is sitting there with a championship belt in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the TV show? I mean, they're talking in some cases about serious issues in the news, (laughs) and he's sitting there holding the NWA World Heavyweight Title. Now, I have said before, I have nothing against Tyrus as a wrestler. At his best, he was just okay. At his best, he was fine. He was serviceable. Um, he is serviceable. long past 
his prime as as a wrestler. He's 50 years old. Oh, come on. And <laughs> but for the fact that he's on Fox News every day, the NWA never would have made him the champion. Never. Never. In the squadron, they called him Bullets. <laughs> hey, Frank, man. Frank gave him two nevers, too. Frank, you ain't messing around. Frank, I think, Curtis, I think Frank wants to die. I really think, Frank, he got that million-dollar insurance policy. Now he's just letting it flail out. He don't care. I, I, I would concur with you. It's sort of like this guy is 6'9", 385 pounds. 385 In pounds. The squadron, they called him Bullets. Now, Frank Frank is 5'3 three and 3 quarters without shoes. And we're not even going to go into the weight because it don't matter because this guy's <laughs> almost 400 pounds. Frank, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, yeah, wh- why is he challenging him? Frank, what are you doing, man? This don't even seem like a ballsy move. This seems like something else. This is suicidal. This is suicidal. And who's going to who's gonna get this guy? This guy's going to come looking for you, and he's going to terrorize anybody that doesn't give him the information. <laughs> he's going to go to your father's house, your mother's house, your friend's house. I want you to ponder all that. And then, remember, little Carmine has to deal with the trauma. <laughs> Oh yeah, no! Has oh. to deal with their trauma. Oh, Carmine, the one, Carmine, the one that's gonna give him up. He already told everybody Carmine like Taylor Swift. Carmine gonna give him up. <laughs> this is where you find him to the tyrants. <laughs> this is where this is where he is. What? <laughs> he, he, he's here. He's at this location five times a week from one to five a.m. <laughs> Here's his key card too. <laughs> Six nine. 385, and, and, and Frank talking all spicy. <laughs> Frank, Frank, man. Hey, Frank, I know you got those two knives on you, but I'm sorry. I don't think that's going to help you. Oh, God. Man. Man, he outed his son as liking, liking Taylor Swift. Does he, do you have no shame, Frank? Hey, my bad, Frank, man. <laughs> Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Who has Frank Morano's Monroe College mug for his coffee, right? Avery, he wants his freaking coffee in his Monroe College mug. For the two extra ounces of liquid. Oh, my God. He's turned this place upside down. We can't even have any normal functioning here. Oh, I got to have my Monroe College mug. And then he won't leave Tyrus alone. He continues his all-out attack on this guy who's 6'9", 385. I don't understand how anybody takes him seriously with him walking around out there with this championship belt. What are you doing? Get him, Frank. You look ridiculous. Anybody that knows wrestling thinks that your whole championship is... Is and I don't think I'm going out on a limb here. Is totally fraudulent. And anybody that I think takes cable news seriously is looking at this and saying, "Well, this kind of diminishes your credibility while you're offering serious analysis of the news." So, 
Again, nothing against Tyrus. Of course. I don't know Tyrus. No, of course. No, 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 no. He's got a lot of fans. Constructive criticism. <laughs> I'm happy for him. Yeah, look, yeah, it's yeah. Just happy a ridiculous for thing to do. Wait, I mean, look, the guy. Had... I, I'm friends with a guy that walks around wearing a red beret all day, so maybe oh. that's no more ridiculous. Oh. What? Hit you with the bank shot. Is that? What the hell was that? With the little chicken wing on the way out the door. <laughs> Wait a second. This guy has like four million people watching him. Every night. Every night. And, and, and can I hear that one again, please? Millionaire. Please. I, I don't it. understand how anybody takes him seriously with him walking around out there with this championship belt. What are you doing? You look ridiculous. Anybody that knows wrestling thinks that your whole championship is... Is he and go, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here. He's going He's to, totally fraudulent. You're going to have to shack next and week. Anybody that I think <laughs> takes cable news seriously is looking at this and saying, "Well, this kind of diminishes your credibility while you're offering you serious analysis of the news." Hey, hey Frank. So, Again, nothing against Tyrus. I don't no, know Tyrus. I don't know much about him, and I know he's got a lot of fans. Yes. I know he's popular. I'm happy for him. It's too late, it's Frank. It's a ridiculous thing to do. I mean, look, I'm friends with a guy that walks around wearing a red beret all day, what? so maybe that's no more ridiculous. Hey, hey, Frank, he is going to catch you. He's going to pick you up and shake you. The guy has four million people watching him at night. And here's Frank Morano. Picky, 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 picky. Hey, hey Frank, a 6'9", 400-pound human being <laughs> better not come to me looking for you. What are you going to have, Carmine stand up yeah. to him when he comes to your house? Hey, Frank, if he comes to me, 30 minutes after he's talking to me, he's talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk him right in. Uh. <laughs> Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Everywhere people piss. 
person on the stage, you know they just don't care. I can't take the smell, can't take the noise. Got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back. Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far. Cause a man with the touch of repossessed my car. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window, watching all the cars go by, roaring as the breezes blow. A crazy lady living in a bag, eating out of garbage pails, used to be a fag hag, such a dance to tango, skipped the life and dango, was her gone prince, to seem to lost her senses, down at the peep show, watching all the creeps, so she could tell her stories, took the girls back home, she went to the city and got so, so, so diddy, she had to get a pimp, she couldn't make it on her own, don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge, I'm trying Not to lose my head. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Grandmaster Flash It's like a jungle and the Furious Five came up with this rap classic, greatest of all time as far as I am concerned, The Message. Just about a little after the time that I started the Guardian Angels in 1979 in the Bronx to combat the ever-growing crime problems in the streets and the subways. Well, let me set the uh, tone here because, once again, we have crimes that are being committed here that are unconscionable. The city is out of control. We are falling into the crime abyss. I started the program talking about how do you escape the fact that 90,000 packages a day are stolen. Stolen after being delivered to places of business and homes and condos and co-ops. And that people with total impunity walk in and out of retail establishments and loot and boost products by just promising that they won't shoot. And then in Manhattan, they get an Alvin Bragg swag bag to uh, make sure that they're able to get as much as their hands can humanly grab and leave in peace. And it's getting worse and worse for a long time. The one uh, borough that was off the radar screen when it came to violent crime was Staten Island. No more. Crime has skyrocketed there 250%. Let me give you the latest on the crime blotter. A Staten Island deli co-owner was fatally shot at Castleton Corners business, leaves behind a wife and two children. A shooter took to life of this Staten Island Deli's hard-working co-owner this uh, Saturday night in a brazen killing that brought tears to the victim's friends, police, and people who knew the man. The shooting was discovered around 7.50 p.m. on Saturday by someone who walked into Manor Deli in convenience on Manor Road near Goodwin Avenue in the Castleton Corners section of Staten Island. The person who found the victim called 911 and reported a possible robbery. The victim, age 35, had a gunshot wound to his chest. Medics rushed him to Staten Island University Hospital, but he could not be saved. It was just not immediately clear when the man was shot. 
His identity was not released on Saturday night. It was unclear if anything was stolen from the store. Friends said the shooting victim had shut down another deli in Richmond Terrace and opened up the new establishment on Manor Road. Quote, he came here because it was a nice area, unquote, said one friend. The victim leaves behind a wife and two children, said Hazem al-Assad, a second friend of the victim, who sat crying on a curb across the street from the store on Saturday night. Quote, very, very, very hard worker. He worked very hard to support his family. All the way, al-Assad said, he was very nice and very pleasant. Everybody liked him. Police searched Saturday for a suspect or suspects in the killing. The reason this is so important, ladies and gentlemen, is you have an island of 550,000 people, Staten Island, that has generally avoided these kinds of crimes. And yet every day, not just the North Shore, Mid-Island, but even the South Shore, crime is moving up rapidly from car thefts to catalytic converters being stolen to men coming over in SUVs from Newark, New Jersey, over the Outer Bridge Crossing, the Bayonne Bridge, the Gothels Bridge, and they go on pillaging sprees, pillaging sprees. Ros Baraka, the uh, friend of the criminal mayor in Newark, knows this, and he basically says, look, better that you commit crime over there in Staten Island than commit crime here in Newark and Essex County. And it's happening on a regular basis. So I ask you, how is it that in a borough with a 250% increase in crime, you have a DA who remains McMahon and he is unchallenged? My fellow Republicans say I have not put up a challenger to McMahon. How do you not do that? Knowing that the one thing that McMahon was known for doing in this last term that he's been in office was taking three calls from Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, not our mayor, who called up specifically because they, he wanted, on three separate occasions, the DA of Staten Island, McMahon, to fill out papers to have Rudy Giuliani arrested for filing a false police report. Remember in the waning days of the gubernatorial Republican primary when Andrew Giuliani was running against Rob Astorino, was running against Harry Wilson and the eventual winner, Congressman Lee Zeldin? Remember how Rudy had crisscrossed the state on behalf of his son and then in the final day went to that stop and shop in the South Shore where an employee hit him in the back, cursed him out, and got arrested for assault and battery? Rightfully so. And then who started calling up the D.A. McMahon telling him to arrest Rudy, cut the guy who assaulted Rudy loose and arrest Rudy for filing a false police report. I'll never forget that. Three times he called them. And then a year ago, almost to the day at the Travis Fourth of July parade that I attend religiously as if it's a vocation each and every year, longest running in the nation. 
A year ago, as I attended with the Guardian Angels, I approached the DA McMahon and I said, if you file charges against my Kumbadici, Rudy Giuliani, I will convince him to move here and to run against you, and he will wipe you off the face of Staten Island. As anybody knows, it's Giuliani land. It's Staten, Italy. And he never did file those papers, even though Eric Adams was urging him to do so. The crime just off the hook. The North Shore there is represented by a city councilwoman. She's head of the Public Safety Committee, a Democrat, Camelia Hanks. She's authored a paper to reduce the police by 1,750 police officers. Her paper. She has voted along with her colleagues in the city council who want to defund the prison system, the cap, the number of prisoners at any moment that New York City is in, is holding at bay to 3,500. That's half the prison population now. And we'll be soon voting on a provision to make sure that every engagement that a police officer has with a citizen is followed up with paperwork, more paperwork, more paperwork. And yet the Republicans didn't even put up a candidate. In the last election, the mayoral election, I won the area. And the Republican candidate, a newbie, first-time candidate, got 40% of the vote. Why would you not run a Republican when crime is up 250%? Unfathomable. So I took it upon myself, ladies and gentlemen, to set up an independent line safe Staten Island streets and we went out and collected signatures to qualify Ruslan Shamal to run on that law and order line don't forget it Staten Island safe streets to try to make sure that the North Shore is safe and secure because it's out of control from uh, Tajay the Stapleton housing projects to Park Hill to Jersey Street, to West Brighton, it is out of control. To Bay Street, to Victory Boulevard, where all the dope fiends hang out and shoot up. Out of control. And you don't run a candidate from a law and order party. Well, that's why it's so important that our Ronald Reagan Republican clubs uh, continue to grow and develop so we can offer an alternative when both parties decide, you scratch my belly, I scratch yours, and they get nice and fat and put their beak in the trough, and they feed themselves and their apparatchiks and their patronage uh, appointees, and they're more than happy to just keep it that way, the status quo, that's when Curtis Lee jumps into action with the Ronald Reagan Club, which is simply a way to get moderate Democrats to join the Republicans to make sure the moderate Democrats can take their party back, that there can be a law and order section to a, a Democratic party that no longer exists because of the socialists like AOC, All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and her mini-me's who not only have defunded the police, want to remove the police, and want to release the criminals from jail. And now look at the crime blotter. Look at this. Look how outrageously out of control it is. One dead, three wounded in Queens, Brooklyn, by random firing of a shooter riding a scooter. This was complete mayhem.
absolute chaos. One man died and three others were wounded in Queens in Brooklyn on Saturday when a scooter-riding shooter unleashed a 9mm semi-automatic pistol on people he seemed to pick out randomly on the street. In fact, as he was riding around on his shooter, he was pointing the 9mm at people as they were ducking for cover. The 25-year-old Mutton Skell was in custody early Saturday afternoon, and police said there was no ongoing threat to the public. Yeah, tell that to the people who live there in East New York and Jamaica. Why the man fired in the five separate incidents was a mystery to police press, who spoke at a news conference several hours after his arrest, including the interim police commissioner, Eddie Caban seems that his acts were random. Caban said the ages and backgrounds of the victims were all different. He said the evidence as of Saturday afternoon showed that the suspect was not targeting anybody, he's not following anybody, as he's driving on his scooter, he's just randomly shooting people. The suspect whose name was not released had only one prior arrest. The shooter appeared to target pedestrians and people in their cars in the shooting spree. An 87-year-old man died after the scooter riding uh, mutt shot him one time in the back on Jamaica Avenue and 109th Street in the Richmond Hill section of Queens at 11.30 in the morning. He was pronounced dead at Jamaica Hospital. Jasveer Singh, 50, the owner of a Zoom Zoom Wireless on the Jamaica Avenue block, said he was inside the store when he saw the shooter right by the store window. He did a U-turn and he loaded his gun and he just started shooting. Shooting over and over. Police said the shooter also aimed at a group of people at the corner of 108th Street and Jamaica Avenue. Thank God no one was struck. Singh said everyone here in this neighborhood is scared. Everybody is in shock. It is happening now day after day after day. Minutes later, at about 11.35 a.m., the shooter fired at a 44-year-old man on Hillside Avenue and 126th Street. A bullet struck the man in the cheek, and the man was in critical condition as I speak at Jamaica Hospital. Two minutes after that, at 11.37 a.m., another man was shot in the shoulder blocks away on Jamaica Avenue and 134th Street. The victim, a 63-year-old man, was hit in the shoulder and is in stable condition at Jamaica Hospital in Queens. A worker at a nail salon near the scene of that shooting said she saw a pedestrian wounded in the gun violence. The guy was waiting for the light to cross the street. Somebody came and shot him three times, said the worker. Police said they found four 9 millimeter shell casings at the scene.
The victim crossed the street and he laid down on the floor. He didn't die. The ambulance came. He was shot on the shoulder. One person was wounded in a shooting in Brooklyn that apparently was the shooter's first of the day. In that incident, around 11.10 a.m. at Arlington Avenue and Ashford Street in East New York, a 21-year-old man was hit in the shoulder. His wound was not considered life-threatening. Soon after the shootings, police found video evidence that gave them an image of the mutt and scale responsible. The image was distributed to police officers' cell phones. Shortly after 1 p.m., the officers from the 103rd and 113th precincts spotted the shooter. They arrested him near the intersection of 94th Avenue and Sufton Boulevard in Jamaica near the Jamaica train station where the E, the J, and the Long Island Railroad and the train to the plane JFK meet. The suspect's 9mm pistol had an extended magazine, said police. We have not found a serial number on the gun. We're trying to determine whether it's defaced or possibly a ghost gun. That'll come out later in our investigation. Need I say more, ladies and gentlemen? This is just just a smidgen of what is happening in this city as we come unglued. The violent crime is just tearing away the fabric of this city. People were walking around frightened. And if you think the precursor, which is 90,000 packages a day stolen, isn't enough with no arrests made, think of all the shoplifting, the looting, the boosting, where nothing is done. And now you see a city on the edge of total chaos, total anarchy, where law enforcement is being told increasingly Do nothing. Fill out paperwork. Do reports. But don't proactively intervene. More and more of this is going to take place. That's why good men, good women of will must take the law into their own hands. We have no further choice. We cannot sit on the sidelines. Every day it's another reason. The people are deciding to join the exodus and flee in vast numbers. And they're taking their equity and wealth with them. And their tax dollars. Every day to Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. If the city government won't stop these thugs, these marauders, these enemies of society, these cretins with chromosome damage... If the mayor cannot understand that this is the only priority without which the city can never recover, then it's left to us to take care of business as we did many years before there was 911 to call or police were in squad cars or making the rounds. In the old days, when you knew what you had to do in the neighborhoods, to protect the women, the elderly, the infirm, the children. When you knew you had to take the law, oftentimes, into your own hands. Our numbers 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. Ufa! 
another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Yeah! I'm a big That's not bad enough. This has become five boroughs of weed, weed everywhere, the smell of weed, the illegal pop-up shops are just opening up fast and furiously. There's no enforcement. There's no uh, shutting of these illegal weed shops as kids go in and out. They're not being carted. Kids from junior high school, high school. We don't even let the local precincts padlock these sellers of illegal marijuana where there are no benefits whatsoever. There's no taxable income coming from these locations. There's 2,000 of these weed shops. And they're growing as we speak. And the city is just gripped in a purple haze. And as we talk about Ben and Jerry's ice cream, two guys from Long Island who ended up going up to Vermont, gun owners themselves like almost everybody else in Vermont who've been liberal uh, and left and progressive in their politics. At least you can own guns there as readily as you can anywhere down south where the politics is different. The decision, uh, the statements have been made that, oh, Ben and Jerry's, because of their recent statements about July 4th and the fact that this this land of ours was owned by indigenous people and we stole it from them and Mount Rushmore should be taken down because it's it's basically uh, just honoring people who were, were out either promoting slavery, involved in slavery, or more importantly, just keeping people at bay. Well, that ain't going to happen. In fact, here's Ben and Jerry's early on uh, when they were making their ice cream up in Vermont and becoming the international corporate giant that it is. Talking about 420, which way back then was considered controversial, the National Pot Smokers Day. On April 20th, Ben and Jerry's will introduce the burrito, and you'll see why 420 will be exactly like 420. Simple, simple advertisement like that indicates uh, they don't mind jumping into controversy. They know that so many of the people who buy their ice cream lean left, lean progressive to begin with. It's not like Bud Light, which had this massive distribution system through Anheuser-Busch's warehouses all over the country, including internationally. Out of all the brands that Anheuser-Busch sold, clearly Bud Light was the biggest seller. That's no longer the case because of what they decided to do. Anyway, let's go to the phones if we can. And to Brandon, who's calling from New Jersey, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brandon. Hi, Curtis. I uh, wanted to talk about Frank Morano, but, you know, given everything you've been talking about, you know, I have a nine-year-old son, and I've been wanna, wanting to take him to New York to show him, you know, all the places I grew up with. He, 
makes you think twice about doing it with all the violence that's going on. And, you know, I know statistically it's uh, unlikely that anything will happen, but, you know, as a father, it really makes you concerned. Oh, very much. And it has caused so many uh, people because of fear to uh, take to flight and flee. And uh, I'm noticing every day, Brandon, less and less people in the five boroughs of the city of New York. The traffic is lighter. There's less people. They're just not functioning in the same capacity as they were before the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020. It's really a shame. It really is. Um, am I allowed to uh, to make my original comment? Given oh, of the, course. Uh, uh, of course, of course. Okay. All right. To lighten the mood. Uh, did you happen to see Frank Morano's uh, Facebook video yesterday? No, no. Um, uh, how can people see it? What What do they go to? Uh, just go to, um, you know, Facebook, uh, Morano fan, and uh, you'll see him. He's in a truck sitting on his couch and of course you know first of all he has to advertise the fact that he has uh rfk jr on at 120 in the morning uh tomorrow monday and uh then he goes into his podcast but then it's i have a theory that maybe when he was off last wednesday or this you know past wednesday yes maybe he was uh down at the borgata shooting crafts and lost his shirt because he's Pitching all of his friends, a pool cleaner, a pet sitter, it's really not a good look. I don't, I don't know what he's doing, but um, it's like he's in an advertising business. But the um, Pierre de Resistance is at the uh, end of it all. He's talking about these Facebook stars. Have you heard about this? No. Facebook has this thing where you can uh, you can buy stars for. If you're a fan of somebody, you spend 99 cents. And now Frank said on the uh, the video that he spent the 99 cents. But I looked it up. It's actually one cent. So he's begging his listeners to spend a dollar. He can get one cent so he can get a little bit richer. Wow. My <laughs> God, what a deadbeat. Oh, what my a, God. Mooching off of his listeners. Oh, the what a Shonda, him and his alligator arms as he shoots craps at the Borgata and goes to what he calls the greatest buffet of all time, where they give him the crab legs, and he says it's worth going just for the buffet. Yeah, I'd like to see him just go for the buffet. Oh, boy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let's go to Tony in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Thank you. It was 1962, a few weeks after I came from San Juan, and I was in 14th Street uh, crossing to buy something from the store. The name was Maze. Not Maze, it's Maze. Maybe you know about it. And a huge guy, cop, transit, mm-hmm. called me, stopped me, and started writing my name, and I said, I came from Puerto Rico a few weeks ago. Uh, what is it about? Maze, and he told me, Jaywalk. I said, what is that? Say, you see that light there? This is when you cross. And I say, I'm sorry. I come from San Juan. Never happened before. It don't happen again. I am very sorry. I'm looking for a job. 
and he let me go. Now, imagine those times. Now, I'm glad that I made it in New York. I still live in Manhattan. I became supervisor for the key food stores. I became a, a professional athlete. And I lost my vision, I told you, because of my mother's side when I was 38 or 39. Mm -hmm. Now, in the festival, Puerto Rican Day Festival, Third Avenue, I told my wife, because she loved it, she's always, she's my eyes. From 106 Third Avenue to 116, I swear to God, more than 20 cops, ladies and gentlemen cops, hello, shake the hands and say, Thank you. We support you. We are proud of you. They can look in the videos and they can see me. I'm recognizable because the firemen, the same thing. We love New York. Now I am glad I don't live on the city. I have my pensions. Every time I call for a, ta for a taxi car, car service to take me places because if I go to a store, you see everybody getting at my wife, at me, street smart. And we know all about it. But please, our city is a shame. And you mentioned all the states, but we Puerto Ricans, not me, I'm going to stay here. I don't care. Yeah, no, we uh, have to. We have to, Tony. We have to fight for what we know is right. I mean, total lawlessness. Think about it. I mean... 90,000 packages are delivered each and every day in the fine boroughs of the city of New York by Federal Express, by Amazon, by United States Postal Service, by UPS. And they're put into the foyers of apartment buildings. They're put onto the porches. They're put into the doorways of people's homes, of places of business and such. And they're robbed. 90,000 a day, and nobody is stopping them. Nobody is arresting them. They're not being added to the stats, which would make it astronomical. But like anything, it leads to other crimes, because if you realize you can be a porch bandit, a porch pirate, and you can steal packages as you follow the delivery teams to their final destinations, well, then you know you could do a home invasion. Follow it up with that home invasion because it doesn't appear that anybody's home. Look, I see about a week's worth of mail here. Let's get it done. Let's do a home invasion. Let's rob people here in this apartment building. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Here's some ice cream cakes that only Carvel makes. They're made fresh every day, because that's the Carvel way. And while you're at the store, say cookie for some more. And don't forget about Hug Me the your participating Carvel dealer also has Hug Me the Bear and Cookie Puss Dolls. You'll love them. Thank you. Great, great commercial. You heard Tom Carvel at the end there. That's right, I'm Tom Carvel. And Cookie Puss and Fudgy the Whale. It's two of his offerings for birthday cakes. You know what uh, Frank Morano said was, oh, yeah, the uh, ice cream birthday cake. I love it. I love it. 
And it's so, so important to understand that Carvel, totally different kind of an operation than, let's say, Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's has always been political. That's its orientation. In fact, this is the most recent criticism that they have received. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm Jerry. You know, we may not have the money to go on TV for 30 seconds, but we sure do make some of the best ice cream you ever tasted. Look for us on top of every pint. Let's ben go. and Jerry's is getting roasted online for tweeting what some are calling an anti-American Fourth of July message. Here's what they wrote. This Fourth of July, it's high time we recognize that the U.S. exists on stolen indigenous land and commit to returning it. Are we all supposed to be going back to Europe? That's my question, everybody. Okay. Wow. The company claims parades, barbecues, and fireworks distract from this, quote, essential truth about this nation's uh, birth. And you see, Ben and Jerry's has been like that since its birth. They look forward to political confrontation. Now, will they lose some money? Of course they will. But they've knowingly gone into it knowing that it's going to cost them money. This isn't like uh, Bud Light. No, this is not like Target. But you would think they would take the principles of Tom Carvel. Tom Carvel was a guy from Greece. He began selling ice cream out of his truck in 1929 in Hartsdale, New York, up in Westchester. And on a Memorial Day weekend in 1934, his truck had a flat tire, so he pulled into a parking lot next to the pottery store and began selling his melting and uh, the ice cream, which is just like <laughs> no longer hard. It was, it was melting. And the vacationers were driving by, and he was scooping it out. Within two days, he had sold his entire supply of ice cream, Tom Carvel, and concluded that he could increase his profits by working from a fixed location. And then eventually developed the ice cream cakes that Frank Morano talked about that he adores. Fudgy the Whale, Cookie Puss. And then started a franchise all over the United States. It's the way you do it. It's the way it has been done in the past. And it's the way it'll be done in the future. Anyway, let's go to the phones to uh, Kurt, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kurt. Hey, good morning, Curtis. You know, I, I called for a different reason, but I, but you, you, you brought up, you know, the crime. All right, I, I, I've lived in Port Richmond. All right. For, for 51 years, I've been in this neighborhood and it's changed so much. They've opened up right around the corner from my house. They've opened up one of them pot shops and then Project Hospitality built a building over here and got a lot of these people over here. They are, they all, you know, a lot of them have mental health issues and they're out on the street. And they're, I mean, and the, the crime here is rampant. You go. We have a family dollar right down the street here. All right. You go in the store, the, the, store, the shelves are empty, Curtis. I know, and Kurt, uh, I, I really I don't understand my friends in Staten Island, Republicans and Democrats. They they don't even have contested races this cycle. They, there's nobody running. I had to come up with a candidate and create a separate line that safe Staten Island streets for the North Shore, which is really out of control all along Bay Street, Victory Boulevard, as you go towards Mid Island. Crime is and off the hook. I had to recruit. Right. I had to recruit a candidate, Rusalan Jamal, that you'll be hearing more about now that the uh, 
the primary process is open because we got to get safe streets in Staten Island. It used to be the safest of the five boroughs, and it's not anymore, Kurt. It's not anymore. No, it isn't. And I can tell you, like I said, I've been in Port Richmond for 51 years, and I've seen the changes, and it's the worst it's ever been. Well, we're going to make a difference. we got to start by making sure that we have competitive races for the district attorney who's responsible for law and order and obviously city council people who are going to back the cops. How can you reelect a Democrat named Camelia Hanks in the North Shore who wrote a paper as the uh, committee chairwoman of public safety and city council to reduce the cops by 1,750, to cap the number of city prisoners at 3,500, so you can't have one more than that, and then not even to be challenged by a Republican. That's crazy, Kurt. I know, and and it is, you know, And, and this mayor, what is he doing, man? What is wrong with him? I must tell you that uh, I, know, I know I know what's wrong with him. I, I mean, how did a pothead mayor get elected into that office? I must tell you, Kurt, that where he really went off board is when he decided that illegal aliens were more important than us. He gives uh-huh. everything to them, and you know what you get, Kurt, and I get we get the bills to pay for the illegals, uh, but in return we get ugats, we get bupkis, and we're getting more crime. We're getting more crime. I'm, I'm, out, I'm outside. I'm, I'm, I'm actually walking my dog. I've had the phone on for about two. I get up before, you know. I get up. I get up early in the morning, about three thirty, four o'clock, and I put. Oh, and that's the other thing I wanted to say. Your show was great this morning, man. You guys had me laughing. Yeah, well, that's that's what we do. Remember, Avery, the funniest hour, puts together once a week by listening, torturing himself. I think he he would probably prefer to go to uh, to Gitmo and get waterboarded by former Vice President Dick Cheney than to have to listen to Frank Morano for twenty hours. But he does sacrifices himself for the good of this uh, this program to give you the funniest hour in all of radio by just bisecting and dissecting what Frank says over the course of 20 hours in his nationally syndicated show, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. By the way, did I mention, uh, how many times have I mentioned in Broadway, Bill Lee, that he's going to have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on at 1 o'clock Monday morning after Dominic Carter? Ooh, did I mention it enough times? God, you would think, oh, man, he was interviewing Jesus Christ. Maybe he thinks of him as Jesus Christ. Anyway, let's go to Phyllis in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Phyllis. Hi, Curtis. I can't believe I'm talking to you. I love you. I've loved you for years. I, I, my biggest disappointment in life was when I voted for you for mayor and you didn't make it. And I'm going to tell you something. Everybody's telling you this and that. You, baby, you, I'm a retired teacher and I'm old. But I know what's right, and I know that you've got the the ability, you've got the heart, you've got everything to 
to win. And you're the only one in this city who can get this city back to where it is. I'm going to say the same thing everybody says. This is not the country, and this is not the city I was born into. And I'm telling you, I got such confidence in you. And don't let anybody stop you, because you can do it. And I don't know why they didn't vote for you. It, 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 well, like well, 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 uh, Phyllis, they did, but not enough to beat Eric Adams. I know, but I let know. Me, uh, Curtis, uh, you are the dream, the well, dream well, person. And I'm begging you, never give up, because we're going to get you into that into that job. Well, the, the, I, I appreciate that, Phyllis, because I will become uh, the Democrats' worst nightmare on this since they have folded to the socialists. But quick, quick question. How many years did you teach? Oh, 34 years. Uh, was it in the public schools or parochial schools? Yep, it was in, uh, I shouldn't say, Truman High School and once a couple of years in Manhattan where I finished up. I love the t- the kids, the the teenagers. Well, let's. And uh, I know let, they got problems, but ta- they don't deserve a city like this. Yeah, let's take you back to Co-op City, the old Freedom Land there, Truman High School. You're teaching. Uh, what kind of classes were you teaching there? Oh, I was teaching Spanish. Okay. And uh, I'm not Hispanic, but I love Spanish. No, no, I understand. And it was so much. Imp- so good for me. I had kids from other countries, you know, the beginners that didn't know the language. These were the, the cream of the crop, the best kids I could want. Question. You know, it was like uh, orientation for new students. Now, now the, I love the kids. The new initiative yeah. of uh, the mayor, the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, mayor of the illegal yeah. aliens, is he said, what's going to get the children to be in control uh, to be able to control their own anger management problems is if two to five minutes a day could be spent in school in the first uh, opening uh, moments of class where they just breathe in and breathe out. I know. You're right. That's breathe in. Right. Breathe out. Well, how about you got it. And, how about, and uh, Phyllis, how about making, right, how about having them say, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, doing the national anthem. The hell is this breathing? Like they're going to a yoga class. Or, or you know, I'm not going to bring my gun to school today because I'm doing yoga. <sighs> well, you know what? Inhaling and exhaling could be uh, could be Avery. Uh, could be Broadway. Bill Lee. You've seen that all in the streets of New York City. Do you notice how when you're passing on the corner? You catch somebody vaping, they're going. So they inhale the smoke and they exhale it. They inhale the smoke, they exhale it. Maybe that's what we'll have our kids do in class. What a stupid idea. Breathing calms your nervous system. It helps to center us and help us regain our sense of balance and focus. It's a valuable low-cost tool that is proven to improve mental health and well-being. You're out of your mind. You're freaking out of your mind. Let's go to, let's go to Tony, who's uh, calling from Staten Island. Yes, Tony. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? Uh, Listen, I live by 100 Tompkins Street. Yes. By Broad Street and Richmond. And since they moved that, uh, there's a school up the block, the Hungerford School. Yep. They put illegal aliens there. And ever since they did that, crime here is just shot to the roof. They broke into my, my neighbor's house the other day. 
No, no, uh, Tony, I've been there. I've seen that. First off, that is not a facility that could house illegal aliens. I don't care where the illegal aliens are from. It was not made to house people. It's an old school. The the mayor has once again started talking about how he wants to take schools that are not being used in the summer, uh, that are not uh, hosting uh, summer school. He wants to turn them into housing for illegal aliens and you know what that means, Tony. There's more of them going to be shipped out to Staten Island. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, but then in September when the kids go back, what is he going to do with all these all these illegal aliens? You know what? He's going to say, well, they'll stay in the gym. The kids will go to class. <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry That's about good. it. All the, right, Curtis. This Take guy it. has lost control, Tony. The worst mayor we ever had is this moron. Yeah, well, I noticed. And people before that thought to Bill de Blasio was the worst. I think they... Nah, com- he's another idiot. Yeah, they like compete. The dope from Park Slope. That's right. The dope from Park Slope who has decided that he is going to make up to break up with his wife, Charlene. They're going to go out and date and play the field, but they're going to live together lovey-dovey in their uh, brownstone there in Park Slope. Doesn't that make you feel so good about their relationship, Tony? But the idea of that is, like you say, she just wants to get into politics. Yes. That's the only way she could do it. That is correct. You figured it out. And also, Tony, it's a way to make sure that when they're getting sued, because there are a number of efforts to sue them, especially for the $1.5 billion yeah, that they the stole from that Thrive program, that they can still remain husband and wife, and you can't force them to testify against one another. Yeah, that's, uh, please. Yeah, we got it all figured out, Tone. Don't worry. Don't worry. I will not forsake you in Staten Island. I actually won Staten Island uh, in the general election against Eric Adams. About 75% to 25%. I clobbered him there. Too bad I didn't clobber him in the other four boroughs. If it was just up to the voters in Staten Island, I'd be the mayor of the city of New York now. Although I noticed that Vito Fisella, the borough president of Staten Island, while speaking on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion of John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, mentioned uh, that he might be reviving the concept of secession that was first brought about by uh, the former borough president and former congressman uh, Guy Malinari. In fact, that's what brought out such an enormous vote for Rudy in 1992. Uh, Some say the margin of victory because it was a very close race as Dinkins tried to get reelected. I did uh, support the offer made by uh, City Councilman Joe Borelli from the South Shore. When I was running for mayor, he had proposed secession. I signed on to it. I don't know of uh, anybody else who did. We got to find out from... uh, uh, the Mama Luke Frank Morano about that. And I remember standing there at Fort Wadsworth, 1992, next to Guy Molinari. They had the cannons. They lit up the cannons at Fort Wadsworth. They were aiming it towards Brooklyn. I said, please don't hit my beloved Brooklyn. And in fact, that's where half the people of Staten Island have come from. And Guy aimed it in a different direction. And apparently... Vito Fisella has hinted that he's going to be having serious discussions in the next two weeks about maybe following in the footsteps of Guy Molinari, who sought secession. 
for Staten Island to become the 51st state. You know, there used to be a program on Channel 13 WNET when I was a kid called the 51st State, basically giving every reason under the sun why New York City should have seceded from New York State and became the 51st State. And then that was truncated down to Guy Molinari's attempt to uh, have Staten Island secede and become the 51st State. And stay tuned. I will find out what uh, Borough President Vito Fisella in Staten Island has in mind when he said he was going to have a sit-down over the next two weeks and possibly resurrect the concept of secession for Staten Island. To be continued. Oh, you don't want to miss it. I'll be back at 9 o'clock with more updates as the uh, weed problem, the homeless, emotionally disturbed, illegal alien crime problem continues to skyrocket in the NYC. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.